Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, I know I teased a brand new intro for the start of season two. This is season two, episode one, if you want to call it that, but it wasn't quite ready yet, so I have to delay it by another episode, but that's not going to stop us from doing a podcast today because we have a lot to talk about. Big opening month of recruiting for June. Official visitors out the ass coming to USC. Gerard, are you ready to jump into the month of hectic, hectic June? Can't stop. Won't stop. We don't care about seasons here because we have no off season. So whether it's season one, season two, season three, season three and a half, we don't care. We are going to talk about recruiting in the month of June. It's going to be very important for USC football recruiting. It's going to be the most important month of any month, even more important than December, because most likely USC will get more commitments during the month of June than the month of December. So it is huge. Sorry, we didn't have a snazzy new intro which was news to me when Chris said that he wasn't going to have it for this episode. I, I like, teased it. I teased oh. it in the last episode. I teased it uh, last episode, the start of the show. But if you are listening on your mobile device, that's how you listen to your podcast. You will see that we have our brand new podcast art. It's up. It's no longer the Peristyle podcast uh, art up there. It is our very own composite two-star recruits. It's got our cilantro boy flavor, and I love it so much. If you send compliments, I made it myself. And if you don't like it, I hired an outside source to do it. So whatever. It's our own thing. I'm excited to have it. Now it's our own little art that tells you you're listening to the composite two-star recruits. Yes, we're part of the Peristyle Podcast family, but we're, we're, own, we're our own thing, Gerard. That's what me making that was all about showing that we were own thing. And the other thing that people may have noticed over the last couple of weeks is that Gerard sounds a lot better. Now, Gerard, I just wanted to give a review that someone wrote about the mic sound for you. This is from Roger. The latest podcast was had perfect sound. The two-star on Xavier Jordan, a few others before, you couldn't hear Gerard if you were driving in your car. The new microphone is much better. So Gerard, we have fixed your sound. We're leaving it on the sound or the levels that you had last week. So moving forward, you should be crystal clear to make your Midlothian jokes and yell into the mic and just have perfect sound for here on into eternity for this podcast. Yes. ASMR for recruiting. And I would also add that the new art also news to me. You can see how plugged in I am with this uh, podcast and all of the peripherals that seem to come with it. This is Christopher Trevino's production all through. I am just the guy Gerard, who shows up and barks out about recruiting. Yeah. No one cares if you're not plugged in for the comings and goings of this podcast. No one cares about the shiny new wheels, the new paint job on this podcast. All they care about is that you are plugged in USC recruiting, which you are, and which is why you are the star of the show. You don't need to busy yourself and and uh spend mental capacity on picking out a new design logo or hearing a new intro or merch stuff you don't need to worry yourself with all that you just need to worry about recruiting 
I did bring read, in I your did, favorite. I did actually design a logo, but it was just evidently not to Chris Trevino's standards. That was like six years ago, man. It was like <laughs> six years ago. That was like December of 2022. We're past that now. We're we're a whole we're on season two. That was that was the preseason. That was the pilot episode. We're in season two right now, Gerard. Well, let's get to the uh, the cold opening before we're in season three, before we actually get to talking about anything recruiting. Fair enough. Like I said, we have a lot to talk about. We have the big June 2nd official visitor weekend coming up this week. The first one of June, we're going to kick things off right. We're going to take a look at some potential visitors that haven't scheduled official visits that could. We're going to talk about some portal rankings. We're going to take a look back at our 2021 draft class, the fourth round this time. So that'll be fun to look in the second half of the show, but we just got to dive right in. Before we dive right in, a quick thank you, as always, to the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser, the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com and check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Give her a follow and see what properties and what she has going on over there on Instagram. So thank you again to Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. All right, Gerard, we are back in action. Cold open, season two. It's easy for this week, official visitors of June 2nd. Now we have close to a dozen names, prospects, humans, souls coming in this week to Southern California. Obviously, that could change. We could add some, we could lose some. There could be some surprises. We don't know yet. We're going to figure that out as we move through the week. But a big slab of visitors on deck. Like I said, we have 11 confirmed for right now. And they love when we put names into categories, which we did last June when we started this show, where we had our big visitor a month for June. So we put people into categories, and they seem to love that. So we're going to do that again with these 11 names that we have in front of us. So, Gerard, can you walk us through the three categories, and then we're going to start putting names in those categories? Well, I think the categories pretty much tell the story of where USC is currently in these recruitments. And I think, you know, we want to start off with the recruits that are going to be on campus this weekend that have already been at USC. They have USC within their top two or three. And this visit is going to be perhaps USC's last chance to make an impact in their recruitment. And being that this is the first week of June that these kids are going to be on campus, most, if not all, of these recruits are probably going to continue to take visits thereafter. And so it's going to be a battle with other schools. But this, particularly with the kids that are out of state, might be the last chance for USC to really make a run to close these recruitments before the season begins. Now, we know that just because a prospect gives a verbal commitment it doesn't mean that their recruiting process is going to end, but at least it's going to be the last chance that USC has to make an impression before they make an initial decision. Okay, we're not sure if, you know, maybe they decommit down the line, what have you, but just looking at this as if everything that counts is going to happen before September, we have this category of closers and it's going to be Longview, Texas, uh, four-star running back, Taylor Tatum, number one ranked running back in the country, according to 24 seven sports. He's been to USC twice already. 
So this will be his third visit on campus coming from Longview, uh, where, you know, USC has offered and been involved with some prospects in the past, but clearly they have more traction with Taylor Tatum than they have with any of those other recruits. USC is battling several schools. I think Michigan is at the top uh, throughout. I'm just, playing, I'm just playing closing time in the end. I'm sorry. Okay. I can't, I can't hear that at all, but that's great that you interrupted me there with that. Um, Chris is all about the peripherals. I tell you what, we would definitely have a podcast that half of it would be not about recruiting. I offered nothing. I offered nothing to this show, but Tackett Curtis, DMV recruiting, and bits. That is all I offer to this show and production. That is it. Leopard sucks. But anyways, uh, getting back to Taylor Tatum, um, closing time in the background or not, uh, that both, for whatever reason, popped in our heads as we were talking about this pre-show. Um, so that's why Chris did that. But nevertheless, uh, I think, you know, with Tatum and Michigan and USC have been kind of the pace setters in his recruitment, uh, really since earlier in the year. Um, there are other schools that have kind of come and gone among his list of favorites and potential official visitors. Texas is still there hanging around and they're likely going to still get an official visit. There's been some talk, maybe Texas A&M is in there as well, but I think Texas and perhaps Georgia are two other schools that are vying for official visits as well. But I think right now Michigan and USC have the best relationship with Taylor Tatum and have the most traction in his visit. And this is going to be where, you know, USC kind of has to plant their flag and they've got to make this move. And I think a lot with the running back board kind of depends on what happens with Taylor Tatum and the feeling with Taylor Tatum coming away from his official visit. Uh, the next prospect that's going to be on campus this weekend that is in this category is going to be higher in Georgia, four-star tight end Walter Matthews, another player that's been on campus, uh, I believe multiple times. I think he's also been on campus twice for USC. I think he was last year, uh, might've been around the same time that Taylor Tatum was actually on campus and then returned uh, this past year. He's pretty much down to Florida and USC. That's kind of been his top two for the last few months now. Um, an interesting prospect, 6'7", 250 pounds, uh, a tight end, as I said. But, you know, Chris, I remember seeing him in person and your immediate thought was, gosh, he's got the frame of a potential offensive tackle at the next level. And I still and think so. And I still think so. I saw him at a game. I think it was the spring game. I may be crazy, but I felt like it was – Whatever, but he was just like talking to fans along the the, the end of the peristyle or the Coliseum entrance uh, over the tunnel. And I'm just like, he was so freaking huge. He could have reached up and grabbed the person and brought him down. Like he looks like a an offensive lineman. I would not be shocked if he ends up playing offensive line at the college level at some point. I think Florida is still the leader here. And there's been a lot of good vibes coming from Florida. Now he's going to take his official visit to Florida the next week, June 9th. And so that could be thereafter a decision uh, from him. You know, he could make that decision uh, before July or maybe early July. We'll see if there's other schools that sneak in there for visits, but that's sort of where sit, things sit with him. And I think, again, another guy that USC is trying to close with, this is, you know, his, his third time being on campus. There's really not a whole lot more that USC can show unless he comes back you know, during the season. But again, I think he was actually uh, the year before at a game during the season. So 
that's going to be uh, a big one for them. Uh, the tight end position is is kind of a an odd position for USC because you know they didn't utilize the tight end position a whole lot last year, and then they bring in Deuce Robinson, and so I think you know obviously that's going to be just interesting to see uh, the how it all plays out with with the production really of Deuce Robinson, and obviously that's not going to happen until we get into next season. And again, you know, we'll see what happens with next season. And if any of these recruits that seemingly want to make decisions before the end of August uh, reopen their recruitments at some point or still entertain interest for some of these schools, which uh, is something that happens quite often. Uh, another recruit in this category is going to be Gardena, Sarah, four-star cornerback, Dakota Fields. Dakota Fields has been uh, favoring USC and Oregon for a long time. Oregon has been the leader there off and on. I think there was a point where USC had made up a lot of ground. I think that point was last summer when he came to the invite camp. He got to hang out with Dante Williams and talking to him afterwards. I just got that vibe like, okay, USC made a big move with him here. But then he went back up to Oregon um, once or twice, I think, during the offseason and uh, the end of last season. And it seemed like Oregon had sort of reeled him back in to some extent. So this is another kid that's just been to USC enough that at this point, official visit, he wants to make a decision before uh, the end of summer. It's going to be a closer type of situation for USC um, to make up that ground on Oregon. Now he is going to officially visit Oregon. Uh, I can't remember if that's a June 23rd visit, but I believe that's his last official visit of the summer. So we'll see how that goes. You know, that's going to be something where USC has to set the bar pretty high. They have to go above and beyond because they're already playing from behind right now against Oregon. Uh, another uh, prospect that's coming in. It is the final one. Just want to say it is the final visit. He has yes. USC, Miami, Washington, and then closes it out with the Ducks. The last uh, prospect of this particular category, as we see it right now, is going to be Draper, Utah, Corner Canyon, four-star offensive tackle, Isaiah Garcia, another player. Been on campus at USC. Uh, there's plenty of schools that have been involved with him. His name doesn't come up a whole lot, but I think this is going to be uh, a closer for USC. Uh, they're going to have to make that impression on him, keep him away from Utah. USC has lost a couple offensive linemen to Utah in the past couple of years. So this is one where, you know, they've got to win against Utah and they haven't won against Utah on the field. And that's um, going to be something that they have to work against. But uh, this is one of those prospects that I think uh, they've got enough traction with. Um, they are in a good enough standing that this is sort of a visit where you, you got to make your close uh, if he's going to make that commitment by the end of summer. And so that's sort of the prospects that are going to be on campus this weekend that we think USC is in a position to close with. And it's going to be important for them to sort of, uh, you know, hit the home run with them to make that impression that last long enough that they don't just go on another visit the next week or the week after and it erases all the momentum that USC has because that's been a little bit of a theme with even some of the local prospects where they come around USC, they're on campus, and they have great things to say. They rave about the coaching staff. They rave about the comfort level. And then they go to a bunch of other schools, and all of a sudden it's USC's out of sight, out of mind. So USC, this being the first week of June, and you've got potentially three other official visit weekends where these kids might be going to other schools. You gotta, you gotta really set the pace, and you gotta do a lot to make some good impressions to hold on to these kids. Now there'll be contact, and they'll still recruit them and and have phone calls afterwards. But you know, whatever schools are getting those later visits are going to be able to just do a little more uh, later on, closer to when those decisions are being made. And so, what you hope, if you're a Trojan fan, is that 
these kids don't go on other visits and Walter Matthews doesn't go to Florida the week after and just decide to commit while he's on his visit to Florida, right? You, you want to have a little bit of a buffer between that last visit that the recruit makes and the point where he makes his decision. Uh, we have wild cards. We have some of these kids that are going to be on campus, which, you know, it, it can kind of go either way. I, I think you would categorize these prospects as players that if they committed to USC, it wouldn't be a big surprise, but it's not necessarily something that anybody is predicting at this point. Uh, I think one guy that stands out to me is Braden Florida, IMG Academy, four-star safety, Jordan Johnson Robo. I think he's a guy that has a really good relationship with Buki Radley. And he was at USC unofficially uh, earlier in the year, very early in the year. I think it was like the end of January, February. And he really liked USC. And we just haven't heard a whole lot about USC. But I feel talking to sources on USC side, they're a little bit of a dark horse here. And there's a little bit of confidence that this visit could go a long ways for him. Now, I think at face value, Texas is definitely the favorite here. He's originally from Texas. He has a very good relationship with Texas. And there's a lot of talk like he would like to come back home and play college football in Texas. So that and is they something. Have the ball. And they have yeah, the ball that's something that you, you you take into consideration and you, and you realize that there are legitimate angles and factors there that work towards Texas's favor. But again, a player that has a very good relationship with some of the coaches at USC. And um, obviously, you know, he has traveled to go play football. He's at IMG right now. So that um, is something that helps USC in their recruitment for him. Uh, another a potential wild card is Inglewood, Colorado, Cherry Creek High School, offensive tackle Hayden Treader. And I think with Treader, he's, he's a guy that hasn't been on campus to our knowledge uh, with USC. But when he got that scholarship offer, it was a pretty big scholarship offer for him. And so Colorado's there. There's a few other schools there, but USC is among one of the bigger scholarship offers for him. And I think talking to Blair Angulo, who covers that region, um, it's going to be one of those things where USC could definitely set the pace a bit here. And Colorado uh, is there, and that's the, the hometown school. But uh, it feels like USC can potentially close this one out. But because he hasn't been on campus yet and, you know, hasn't been around L.A. and just haven't had the vibe from the coaching staff and the players, you don't want to necessarily put him in a category where, OK, USC has the position where they can go ahead and close on him. We, we just don't know enough about how the visit's going to go, the travel, et cetera, uh, from his part at this point to put him in that category. So he's a bit of a wall card uh, right now. Now, some of the recruits that USC is going to be playing from behind on, and sometimes we categorize some of these as traction visits, and I don't feel like that's a good description for these recruits. I think with traction visits, it's more a long shot that USC is getting on campus and just for playing the recruiting game down the road and for USC sometimes that's way down the road sometimes that's the long game that's the Edric Houston let's get him on campus and maybe potentially he goes to Alabama and then he transfers out <laughs> and we have a relationship with him a long game um, this is a group that's really just in general USC's playing from behind and they're trying to make up some ground with and I think Modesto California Central Catholic four-star offensive tackle Manasi Atite is a good example of that. Uh, Florida State is the leader here. And, you know, there's some other schools that I think have established themselves a little better with him. He's an international student. I think he's originally from Ghana. And so that always has its angles and you have to have some connections and some foothold 
within the process of him getting the United States. Um, and I speak on this with the experience of covering Oluwale Betiku uh, from a, I mean, almost probably 10 years ago at this point, where he was uh, at Gardena Sarah, originally from Nigeria. Uh, we I talked to him many times about the process of um, being able to come here on a visa and, and getting the visa and and all the different people that were involved in that process and how some of those people were involved in the process of recruiting as well. And he was actually staying with LeVar Arrington at one point. And I know LeVar Arrington, the former linebacker from Penn State, who also played with the Washington Redskins, um, he's a part of this NFL uh, migration, foreign uh, sort of uh, international player pipeline uh, that goes on uh, with, with African players particularly. And so Oluwale Betku was actually staying with LeVar Arrington. They had a huge falling out. And I don't want to get into the details because it's a little bit of he said, she said. But it definitely was a toxic issue in which Oluwale Betku uh, left and, and really kind of cut ties with some of the people that were involved actually getting to this country. And that was sort of where USC turned the corner of being involved with his recruitment. Because originally, if I recall, I think it was UCLA was the leader in his recruitment and then it was like some other schools and then it kind of was up in the air and then when that whole situation went on with him in the background it was all of a sudden usc had a much better shot at him and i believe at that point he was living with some of the sarah coaches so international players there's always some interesting characters involved and some twists and turns that you kind of like a you know big time transfer you kind of have to have a a a, a champion somewhere that's in that circle because there's going to be people that are going to be influential as to where that particular player goes. And so that's kind of where uh, Mana kind of sits in with, with the group of official visitors are going to be on campus this weekend. Another guy where USC's just got to make up some ground is Santa Ana modern day, four-star cornerback, Xavier Brown. You know, I feel like there have been points where USC was among his favorites and had a good shot at him. And I've gotten that information from sources within modern day and then more on USC side. But again, another player that out of sight, out of mind, you know, just hadn't been to campus for a long time, hadn't been at any of these events, been going on unofficial visits to all other schools uh, and been involved with, um, you know, other programs and, and people that are more connected to other programs. And so, you know, I think Xavier Brown is one of those players where I, I almost felt like putting him in the wild card, wild card category because I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility or this great shock if USA, USC was able to get him after a great official visit, I should say. Uh, because, I mean, they have made good impressions when he's gone on campus and he's been able to be around the USC coaching staff for an extended period of time. So, there is a little bit of that that, you know, you have to consider. It's, I don't know if he would necessarily kind of be a tweener, I guess, between, you know, USC does have to make up ground on him for sure. I think there's like some SEC schools there that are really sort of he's more enamored with. Um, but at the same time, I think there have been points in time where he's had a really good relationship with Dante Williams and the coaching staff and liked USC enough that, you know, there's there's potential there. Right. Um Atlanta, Georgia, Booker T. Washington, four-star edge rusher Cameron Fountain. USC is behind on him. USC is behind on him to Tennessee. Tennessee is kind of like the clear leader there for him. 
And he's a guy that's never been to campus. So that is a bit more of a traction type visit. That's uh, the type of player that, you know, you're kind of making a first impression on to some extent. And it's going to be difficult to beat out those schools that are the regional powers in that area. And I've been told by a few different people at this point, Tennessee is the clear leader there. Uh, a player that we just don't have a lot of information from and is kind of a, an outlier of the group, uh, Clearwater, Florida, four-star safety, Jarvis Boatwright. Don't know he's, much about he's him. A, he's a wild card within the wild cards. He's uh, he's not a wild card. He's a playing from <laughs> behind, playing from behind. Uh, USC has a little bit of a honey hole there they keep going back to, and there hasn't been much honey in it uh, in Clearwater, Florida. But, um, yeah, kind of a random sort of visit. Never really heard much about him. I, I don't recall him really talking much about a USC scholarship offer. Uh, it's been pretty quiet. But the safety position is full of those players. There's some just feels like there's some darts up against that wall at the safety position with some of the players that they've offered scholarships to and are talking to. I mean, you know, Miles Davis, to some extent, was like that. You know, he wasn't a guy that was talking up USC, had a lot to say about USC, and he took the official visit, and now he's got a crystal ball from Steve Wolfong for USC. So, you know, these things can change really quickly in that particular situation. And so Jarvis Brookwright, I mean, USC's got to make some 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 roundup on him because he's never been to campus, and I don't think he's uh, necessarily a guy that, uh, uh, you know, USC has any kind of lead for. I've, I've got no indication from that. No sources have given me that feel. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, potentially maybe attraction guy from that standpoint as well. Uh, and last but not least, St. Louis, Missouri, Desmond, three-star edge rusher, defensive end, Caleb Reed. Caleb Reed, another guy you don't hear much about, uh, hasn't mentioned USC a whole lot, doesn't go to camp, doesn't do many interviews, pretty much off the grid. Uh, what we do know is that uh, it sounds like Kentucky is is a leader for him, and I haven't really been able to get a specific reason why. A lot of uh, what I have gotten is more maybe Kansas State is actually a school that uh, could get some momentum for him. He has an official visit for for Kansas State as well. Um, I think he has some relationship with the USC staff via Oklahoma, uh, probably from younger years camping. Uh, and so that's where sort of the relationship begins. Uh, but there's just not a lot of information about him. And uh, he does not talk very much. So he's a bit of a guy that's out there that, uh, I, I mean, from what I understand, USC is definitely playing from behind and he does have uh, a little more comfort level with some other schools that he's been to unofficially. He hasn't been to USC unofficially. So um, I, I don't know if I would say necessarily traction visit. Again, I don't know if that describes it accurately. What does describe it accurately is he's a guy that USC has got to make up some ground on. And uh, they've got to make him feel at home and feel comfortable away from home because it sounds like he's kind of leaning towards schools that are closer to home. So that's sort of the category breakdown of all the official visitors that are expected to be on campus this weekend. There might be a couple of other additions. There's one other big prospect that could maybe be on campus this weekend. We're waiting to hear uh, some confirmation uh, on that. But uh, it's going to be a, a much bigger visit weekend this first week of June than it was last cycle, where last cycle USC got uh, four commitments, all four kids that ended up on campus. Tackett Curtis, uh, Grant Bucky, who eventually decommitted and ended up at UC UCLA, but he did commit to USC, uh, Cade Eldridge and uh, Tobias Raymond. So they, they, they got, you know, four for four from that particular weekend. Uh, it'd be a hell of a thing if, if they got all the commits from this weekend. I absolutely would not expect that. Uh, that would be a shocker. But nevertheless, um, if they can have 
some level of success uh, here and, and, and close, I think, on some of the top guys, you know, being able to get a Taylor Tatum, um, you know, maybe, you know, changing things around with Dakota Fields. Uh, again, that's going to be tough. You know, Oregon getting that last visit, it just seems like some of these guys are around USC and it's all good. And then, boom, they end up on campus at some other school and it's like they forgot all about USC. So that's something that USC is going to have to try to battle against, seeing that they're getting the first visit with some of these kids. Gerard, thank you for that marvelous breakdown of the cold open. You carried that segment and breaking down the closers, the wild cards, and those playing from behind. And, and as we said, 11 visitors, potentially one more, potentially more surprises, or maybe some people don't make it out. We'll have to see as this week goes on. But those four most important ones that have set the table for June, that is Taylor Tatum, Walter Matthews, Dakota Fields, and Isaiah Garcia, the big offensive tackle out of Draper, Utah. Gerard, this will kind of set us up for our next topic and kind of what we're looking at, a hypothetical class for 2024. Realistically, when you look at this first official visitor list for June 2nd, what's the number that you think realistically, like by the end of the cycle, USC could have three of these kids in their final class? Do you think three is a fair number? If you look at this list, like I think if three of those kids, this is a good weekend. I know you said, you know, 50% is the kind of mark, but but realistically, with guys that they have uh, higher up on this list, do you think that three is kind of a, a good number? Do you mean from this particular weekend? Yes, for this particular up? weekend, yeah. Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, and that does sort of transition us into talking about the summer as a whole and the four weeks that you're going to have of recruiting that go on. Um, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but certainly – if you could get three to four, that would be really good. I think with this weekend, uh, you know, it's it's going to be tough, I think, to get that. I think that you're going to have to have a surprise in there. You're probably going to have to have a Jordan Johnson Rubel uh, commit to USC when, you know, not really being predicted uh, that USC is the school to beat for him. Uh, but again, it wouldn't be a shocker at the same time. But you got to reel in Taylor, Taylor Tatum, I think, of that group. I think you're getting three commitments. He's got to be probably one of them. Um, maybe, you know, with Walter Matthews, uh, that's another guy that USC being in his top two, you know, you know who you're battling against. You're going head-to-head -head with Florida. You know, Florida is closer to home, and there's a lot more going on with uh, Florida from a comfort level coming from Hiram, Georgia, than Los Angeles, California. Nevertheless, He's been out here uh, twice already, and um, this is going to be his third trip to Los Angeles. And so there's definitely something in Los Angeles and at USC that he really likes. So, yeah, I think three would be very good. Uh, four is probably pushing it a little bit. I mean, you're going to have to get into the uh, kids that you're playing from behind, and you got to make some big move for Manasi Atite or somebody like that where, you know, we don't see it at this point in time. But that's partly what official visits are about. You know, we don't have enough time with this coaching staff to really know what type of impact visits can have. You know, how much do they really move the needle? How many of those guys did they get during the golden hour weekend that were really shocks to us? 
I think, you know, one of the bigger names from last cycle going into the summer where USC won a battle where I particularly was pessimistic about it. You were much more optimistic than I was, but it was the Tackett Curtis recruiting battle head to head against Ohio State. It just seemed like, okay, that's going to be a really tough one for USC to win. You know, USC is using faith really to be able to lure these kids in to say, hey, it's a different coaching staff. It's a different culture. It's a different football program. USC is going to be back on top. Just trust us. And Tackett Curtis did, you know, and he bought in and it was that first week of visits. Ohio State subsequently had him on one of their bigger visit weekends. And we know that originally Tackett Curtis was scheduled to come in for that golden hour weekend, but he decided he wanted to spend more uh, one-on-one time with the coaching staff. He wanted to come in on a weekend where just, you know, was going to be him and Brian Odom and it wasn't going to be a bunch of other kids that were also going to be uh, entertained on that weekend. And it worked. It helps, obviously. Um, so, you know, that is an interesting situation to look back on. That's what we do. You know, you observe and you look for patterns and you look for, you know, how the coaching staff recruits and what works for them and what's not working for them. We just don't have enough empirical evidence at this point to really look and see, okay, this is going to work out for them because it's worked out for them in the past. You know, we're still trying to get that feel for how they recruit at USC as opposed to how they maybe have recruited at Oklahoma. It's apples and oranges. So, yeah, we're still at that point. We're trying to figure out, okay, what is a potential win for them when you're bringing in this amount of recruits, this amount of guys from out of state, and you're in a good position for certain players, but it's the first weekend and you do have to, endure the next three week weekends of potential visits for a guy like Tater, Taylor Tatum, who Tatum, <laughs> Taylor Tatum, uh, Tater Tatum, uh, Taylor Tatum, who, who, you know, I mean, by the time he's done with all his other visits, depending on how many he actually takes, he's got three scheduled right now, but you know, by the time it's, we get into July, does he even remember his USC official visit? That's what you have to endure as USC going first. Now, at the same time, Again, you can set the pace. You can raise the bar. You can make that first impression, and that recruit can really remember that because it's like, man, you know, they that that was my first official visit, and it was so much different than the unofficial visits, and it was so much better, and it makes a bigger impression because of that as opposed to being the second or the third, and it's just sort of another official visit mixed in to the bunch. So, yeah, there's always that kind of thing where we have to look back and we have to analyze that was what we did with the golden hour weekend. A lot of people wanted to jump to conclusions and say, oh, this was a failure. Oh, no, this is a success. Should it be a luau? Should you not have a luau? And you just got to take a step back and say, let's just let some time pass to see. Like, we, it's going to be figured out eventually. We don't need to jump the shark and try to make all these predictions on everything that's happening. We're going to find out. It's going to shake itself loose. Give it at least a month. And so we did. And, and over time, you know, as we got past July and that initial commitment wave uh, we saw oh usc's picking up guys now they've got some momentum right before the season and that ended up being a good weekend for them you know now you can you can argue on the 50 50 thing but when you bring in 24 guys and you get you know 50 percent of those prospects signed yeah that's that's a pretty good weekend for you so yeah at this point i think um you know out of out of the the 12 that potentially could be on campus this weekend you know getting half of those i think is unrealistic just being honest, I don't think USC is going to get six of these names. Um, so, yeah, I, I but I think within context, 
of everybody that's on campus. Yeah, three to four, I think, would still be good for USC. They would still feel pretty good uh, looking at the group of prospects that are actually going to be in campus. We love good context. And now we can finally kind of move in fully until this kind of summer visit forecast and taking a look at USC's current 2024 class, which is, as it stands, is number 56 in the country, number seventh in the Pac-12. It has three commitments, starting from bottom to top. That's three-star McKinney, Texas running back Brian Jackson. There's longtime USC commit, four-star Lake Ridge, Oregon tight end Joey Olson, and then the most recent commitment, four-star Sierra Canyon wide receiver Xavier Jordan, who is in the top 100 of the 24-7 sports rankings. He is the highest commit. They make up the 2024 class, which is, you know, lost some names, some local names like Dylan Williams, Aaron Butler. Those those names have no longer in this class. But as of right now, as we go into this busy June, that is where the class stands, number 56 in the country. Obviously not a great number, but it will go grow. It will get better. It will add names. So Gerard is actually, you've been playing around with the uh, the class calculator and kind of building what a hypothetical class could look like. Obviously, there are some interesting names. A lot of it will start with the QB situation where USC is, you know, seem to be is honing in on Elijah Brown out of modern day could be the leader of this class. But Gerard, where would you like to start with this hypothetical class we're going to talk about? Yeah, so. You know, we look at the pool of official visitors that are coming in during the summer. And these days, that tends to make up the majority of your recruiting class. Uh, Most schools have the majority of their high school recruiting class settled by the time you get into September. Uh, Not all, but most. And so summer recruiting has become very important. There are plenty of schools that didn't bring in official visitors during the summer that now bring in plenty. And so looking at the group, it's a pool of talent and clearly it's one where USC has to strike and get on a roll and get some momentum because they only have, as you said, three verbal commitments going into the summer, which I would say if we would have been talking about this, let's say last November, December, and looking forward to what does USC's 2024 class look like when they're getting ready for official visits in June. I would have not predicted that it would have been number 56, 57 with three verbal commitments. Mm -hmm. I think at this point you want probably closer to eight and then you're looking to double that over the summer. And then you're giving yourself some headroom as you get into the season. Now, does this signal that USC is not going to have a very big recruiting class from the high school ranks? Potentially it's hard to predict that just because You don't know what the pool of talent is going to be like year to year when you get for that transfer, that first transfer portal window. And so USC, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but USC has been very successful with transfers and you don't know how much they really want to emphasize and put on that. I think first thing that jumps out before we get into any talk of hypothetical classes is the fact that there are not a lot of defensive line bodies lined up to be on campus at USC this summer. And this is something that was an issue last year. He really only had one true interior defensive lineman who took an official visit to USC last summer, and that was Edric Hill, 
who ended up at Alabama. That was a complete traction visit. Edric Hill never been on campus at USC, hadn't really talked much about USC in the past. And he kind of just popped up for the goal now. And was like, okay, that's interesting. Edric Hill. And USC really didn't have much of a chance at him uh, going into the visit. And then after, probably not much better of a chance uh, from what we understood. So uh, this year, it's kind of the same thing. And it does give you the feel that they're going to be going to the transfer portal again for defensive linemen, which is not the end of the world. They got some very good defensive linemen from the transfer portal uh, this past year with the two different windows. Uh, getting guys like Bear Alexander and Anthony Lucas. But nevertheless, there are just not a lot of good options at defensive line that are going to be on campus as it sits right now. Now you could add maybe, you know, three different guys potentially, and we'll get into the potential official visitors that don't have actual dates set up with USC right now uh, that could change things. You know, you don't need a, a lot of names to necessarily change things. You only need a few, but at this point uh, there's really only one guy uh, that I would look at as a potential commitment for USC uh, down the line that's going to be officially visiting. So let's get into the potential of the class. In terms of let's numbers, do it. let's do it. Overall, I mean, I think USC wants to shoot for about a dozen commitments uh, by the time you're getting into September. Um, again, you know, we don't know, and I was asked this last week or the week before, you know, who what's the number USC is looking to take in this 2024 class? And overall, you know, it's 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 easier to say, well, OK, overall, they want, you know, 20 something bodies is, is what they want. But how many are they actually going to take from the high school class? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. It's because, it's, again, what's the emphasis on high school recruiting as opposed to getting transfers? But from a hypothetical class, you could still land, um, let's say, 12 to 14 commitments from the summer and have something like a 260 rating. And that would be pretty good. I mean, as of right now, if you plug that in, that's going to be at the top of the recruiting rankings. But you also have to remember, I have to emphasize that there are going to be schools like Georgia and Michigan, et cetera, that are at the top of the rankings that are going to continue to add to their present classes. And so I think the average right now is about 14 commits for the schools that are ranked among the top 10 in recruiting. USC's got three. The average among the top 10 is 13.8. So USC is just trying to get to a close to where the average is right now. But we know that average for the top 10 is going to go up to probably closer to 18, you know, maybe even 20 recruits uh, that are verbally committed among those schools. So the rankings and the ratings are going to shift and that number is going to get a bit higher. Now, I think from recollection, usually if you're in that three to 305 range, you're going to be among the top recruiting classes in the nation. You do get some diminishing returns plus 18 commits in a particular class. Uh, and that's with the high school class overall. I'm not sure if that number is different, but I know that when you're looking at averages and what have you, uh, where the class is ranked, it's really the, the first 18 guys, the top 18 guys within a class, which make uh, the most impact on that number. So it, it will go up. And there will be more kids added to each class, but the ones that really matter are, are going to depend on where their ranking is among those top 18 in each class. So looking at a hypothetical class, I, I, I just threw one together. And again, let me emphasize and underline, this is not a prediction. This is not necessarily a forecast, as though the piece is called a forecast. I did not include this 
in the piece giving these recruits by name because of that. I didn't want to confuse people, but talking about a hypothetical class, how, Gerard, do you get to a 260 rating over the summer if you're USC? Well, first you land Elijah Brown. So you get the quarterback position taken care of. Then you get Taylor Tatum and you get Brian Jackson. Brian Jackson's already committed, so you're halfway there. You get Mike Matthews at wide receiver, Draylon Miller, and Xavier Jordan. Now that's a stellar wide receiver class. That's a very, very good wide receiver class. You could substitute Draylon Miller for Ryan Pelham or maybe another receiver, and you would still have a very, very good recruiting class. But you kind of need to have Mike Matthews there as a five-star to elevate that wide receiver class and elevate the overall rating of the class. And we'll get into that in in a little bit. Uh, You've got tight end slash big receiver, Joy Olsen, already committed, taken care of. Great. Offensive line, DeAndre Carter, Devin Brooks, and Hayden Treader. Now, again, with Hayden Treader, a little bit of a, you know, wild card. We're really not sure. But I think, again, another player that you could put some other guys in there. There could be some other official visits from other offensive linemen. He's a three-star. It's not the end of the world if they don't land him specifically. But I think USC could very well and probably will get three to four offensive linemen committed by the time we're getting into September. That would that would be, I think, what they aim for. And I think it's realistic and reasonable to say that they will get there. And I think with DeAndre Carter, they lead. I think they're actually low-key, very, very good position for Devin Brooks. Uh, and, and as I said, there could be a third guy in there, maybe even a fourth guy in there uh, that uh, that comes in on an official visit. There are some potential names out there uh, that they could land. Defensive line, as I said earlier, this is the position where you're kind of going, where are the bodies? Where are the options? Jalen Harvey is, is really, as an edge rusher, the only one that kind of stands out to me as a potential uh, closer for USC, where they are there. Uh, he's been to USC before. He has a very good relationship with Sean Nua, which has now transitioned over to uh, Roy Manning recruiting him. Um, now Penn State is in there. There are some other schools that I think have actually made up ground. And because he hasn't been at USC in a while, I think it's it's a little more neck and neck. But this is one battle where I could see USC winning it. And it would not necessarily be a shock to, to I, anyone. I just want to say the Jericho Johnson hive is not happy. Well, we can talk about Jericho Johnson uh, here in a minute. Um, so, yeah. So really, in terms of guys that uh, are scheduled to be on campus right now, and again, there could be further additions, uh, which change things. Jalen Harvey's kind of the only guy there right now um, on the defensive line that we're looking at, which I think USC has a reasonably good shot at being able to land by this summer. Uh, at linebacker, Kingston Valauma Asa, uh, Ty Anthony Smith, you don't hear a whole lot from out of Jasper, Jasper, Texas, a four-star linebacker, and Jordan Lockhart. I think USC has the potential of landing all three. Clearly, with Kingston, Veliamuasa, that is one where they got to make up ground. Okay, they're behind with Ohio State. Uh, Notre Dame is there well as well, but I think it's an Ohio State-USC uh, battle. But going back to what I said about Tackett Curtis, that's a battle that USC has won in the past. So again, we're looking to analyze things that have happened in the past and the battles against particular schools and how USC operates. And I will also note that what's interesting with Valamu Asa is that that is going to be a weekend, June 9th, 
where there's not going to be a bunch of recruits on campus. It's really right now, it's just him and his buddy Peyton Woodyard, who's also at St. John Bosco, committed to Georgia. They're the only ones that are scheduled for that weekend. I think there's probably going to be another recruit or two that they bring in, but it's going to be a small weekend, very similar to what they did with Tackett Curtis. So, you know, USC has had all hands on deck with Kingston, and they've really tried to emphasize home, family, and so they're battling against Ohio State. It won for them when they were in the battle head-to-head for Tackett Curtis. Uh, Maybe it pays off for them with Kingston Valiamuasa, and he is one of those guys like Taylor Tatum, and again, we'll talk about this in a little bit. He's sort of pivotal to, to getting that class to being a, a, a good class that gets up there in the 250s, 260 range. At defensive Mac, you've got Marcellus Williams, St. John Bosco cornerback, Miles Davis uh, from uh, Judson Converse, uh, four-star safety, and Marquise Gallegos from uh, Chatsworth up there in West Hills. That's a very, very doable um, defensive back class for USC. Uh, Marcellus Williams, you and I have both shared our trepidation with him and just, you know, Pennsylvania USC is the favorite. Um, I think that still exists, but you'll also have to look on the other side of the coin and see who is USC competing against and what other school is he really going to, you know, and, and who are they recruiting and what are their priorities? You know, is, is Oregon looking at him as a priority? Uh, is Oklahoma looking at him as a priority? Uh, with USC, they have to get Marcellus Williams, Sabian Brown, or Dakota Fields. You got to get one out of three of those. And then maybe you compare that with somebody else like a Braylon Connolly or somebody from out of state. But they got to get one of those three guys. So right now, I mean, you know, if you put a gun to my head and you say, hey, pick one, it's going to be Marcellus Williams for sure. Uh, I, I can get on that train. You know, people are going, oh, you know, you didn't think he was going to go end up at USC. You felt like maybe USC was playing from behind. Yeah. Talking to him personally, I've always gotten the vibe. It's like, you know, he's a little hesitant with USC and the player development and, and seeing his brother and kind of how his brother has played at USC. Uh, but nevertheless, it's not like something that I think is an obstacle that USC cannot overcome. So, yeah, I think that's a very doable defensive back class. Now, getting again to the key battles here to kind of get USC here, the guys that you sort of have to land to get to that 260 rating, in my opinion, it's going to be Mike Matthews, Taylor Tatum, and it's going to be Velo Amuasa. That's that's those are the guys that are sort of the make or break. And certainly, I think with all three, it could go either way. Mike Matthews could stay in the South. He can end up at a Tennessee, Florida, et cetera. Um, he's got very good connections out here, and there's some people in his recruitment uh, that are pro USC. And so, you know, I've been told by people that know him and are close to him that USC's in it and USC has a shot and certainly more so than most of the other Georgia kids, maybe outside of Walter Matthews. Um, Taylor Tatum, we've already talked about, you know, USC, this is the weekend where they've got to try to close with him and, um, you know, go ahead ahead with Michigan or potentially, you know, Georgia slides in or Texas You know, those schools are sort of in a position where Texas being the hometown school, you know, they're going to try to kind of like lay low and then maybe try to bring him in on a a late visit. Um, And with Georgia being, you know, defending national champions and having some very good um, numbers in the draft for running backs, they're kind of playing the favorite. I don't know, even though Taylor Tatum is ranked the number one running back in the country, I don't know if he's at the top of their board. I get a sense that they've been involved with some other guys in the South that they may have liked more. And now they're kind of looking at him because he's number one ranked running back in the nation. And that's kind of why they're more involved now than they were before. 
that's my my speculation. And Valiomo also, like I said, Ohio State leader, but USC, I think they made up ground on his last unofficial visit, and I think that they are playing that one wisely. And so that could go USC's way as well. So that's sort of, you know, a hypothetical sort of throwing out there. How did USC get here? You know, are they filling all their needs with these kids, et cetera? Again, I think the defensive line is the one glaring issue mm-hmm. in that group. And just in general, because there's just not a lot of names to pick from, uh, really, uh, as an interior defensive lineman at this point, the only one that actually has a visit date that's been set to USC has already visited USC, and that's Edric Houston. And I do not think USC is among his top three at this point. Yeah, looking at this class, I think a lot of USC fans would be, for the most part, happy with it, with obviously some sour grapes with that defensive line class and Obviously, the big glaring thing when they're looking at this is the O-line, which, you know, DeAndre Carter, Devin Books, Hayden Treater, I think they would be fine with that. But it's obviously the Brandon Baker of it all. They have, you know, been had their hopes up for Brandon Baker for going on, what, two years has become the number one offensive tackle prospect in the class. And we're, we'll probably talk a little bit. We have some questions about Brandon Baker in our question segment. segment. But for the most part, those are the two kind of glaring misses so far if you're looking at this class and you know as you pointed out these these are kids that have visited or will be on campus this summer so that's kind of the makeup of that but obviously I think it's a solid class a great starting point outside of you know obviously the defensive line being a big glaring hole in the middle of this all as they try to get some uh, big boys and they might have to hit the portal hard once again because you know they're going to Big Ten next season it's not going to be an easy an easy thing. It's not going to be something where you just plug and play some some freshmen in there. It's not going to be easy. So they might have to look to some older players out of the portal to alleviate that uh, that jump as they as they move to the uh, the Big Ten. If I would interject, they really can do that, and you know we're going to see what they the can't or rate. can't do that. They can. Yeah, it's a position which lends itself to that plug and play defensive linemen are really the probably position that is the best to be able to say, look, we can bring you in as long as it's like from a technique standpoint, from a, from a gap standpoint, it fits that player, you know, Hey man, just, just go when the ball moves, (laughs) you know, if you're a good player in the defensive line scheme is not that important, you know? So there's not a whole lot of, of design or uh, terminology or anything you really have to know as a defensive lineman. So, you know, the joke was always like, if you're going to recruit out of the junior college ranks, you want to recruit defensive linemen. Like that's really one you want to recruit because you could just plug those guys in and just let them play. It's not like quarterback. It's not like running back. It's not like receiver. And it's not like offensive line. I mean, there's a ton of terminology and calls that have to be made on the offensive line. And there's a lot more chemistry that's involved playing on the offensive line. Defensive lineman, man, you put a guy like that, Bear Alexander in there, say, Bear, you know what? Watch the ball. It moves. Go get the quarterback. <laughs> Go get the running back. You know, it's 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 obviously not that simple. I'm, I'm being a bit facetious. But uh, nevertheless, it is to some extent. And so that is a position that certainly lends itself to going after transfers. Absolutely. More than other positions. So the, the thing is, the caveat is, Everybody knows that <laughs> getting quality defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen out of the portal is difficult only because there's a ton of competition 
for those players. But USC was able to do it with Barry Alexander. They were able to get Anthony Lucas out of the portal and Jack Sullivan. And I mean, Keon Bars, they got some quality players out of the portal. And as of now, again, we're talking about a hypothetical class that is made up of players that have their official visit date set to USC. Okay, there are going to be additional visitors that will be on campus, but these are the players and prospects that have already set dates. So we are working from that pool of talent. And I just wanted to clarify, maybe I wasn't clear. I was referring to true freshmen for plug and play going to the Big Ten, not necessarily a winning formula because it's so hard to make that jump from offensive line, defensive line, going its grown men across the way. So it's harder for a freshman to make that jump. Obviously, transfer portal, yes, a lot easier for those guys to just snatch them up, put them in, plug them in, let them go play. And as you mentioned about visitors, we have a list here of potential visitors we're keeping a track, keeping track of as they will add potentially a USC unofficial visit. Some people were just waiting for that official date. But I do have kind of a segue, and that is sort of in the form of some Breaking news a little bit, there is one more visitor we need to add to this weekend, Gerard, and that is four-star Connecticut linebacker Elijah Newby, who tweeted out today that he will be taking his official visit to USC this weekend. So we have 12 names officially on tap for June 2nd official visit weekend. So we can kind of plug him in there for wild court or playing from behind he definitely feels like a wild card to me. Six foot three, 185 pounds, Penn State, South Carolina, Stanford, and the Trojans are the warm schools on his profile. He will be taking official visits to Penn State the following week and Stanford at the end of the month. And then South Carolina will be there as well. But USC is going to get an official visit this weekend. So Elijah Newby. Add him to the list. Add him to the categories. Yeah, interesting because he has a name that popped up before. Uh, Brian Doan, who covers that region for uh, 24-7 Sports, had reported that he had been talking to USC about a potential official visit. And so one of the names that was a potential visitor for USC is now a visitor for USC. 6'3", 185 pounds. Interesting because... He's obviously a bit undersized from that standpoint. Um, 24-7 likes him more than the other networks out there. Uh, he is ranked the number 23 linebacker nationally in the top 24-7 nationally. He's at 233. Uh, again, a bit undersized at 185, but he's got some decent scholarship offers. He's got Penn State, which you would say, you know, regionally you're looking at the schools that are pursuing and have maybe the best evaluations from those particular regions. Uh, with Penn State, I will say this, and I mentioned this when we were doing the coaching surges, and we were looking at uh, you know the, the James Franklin being a potential candidate to be the head coach at USC, and looking from a recruiting standpoint, what kind of impact that would make, uh, and going so far as to looking at the evaluations that they've made from a scholarship offer standpoint to how many of those players from those particular States became starters and then became NFL draft picks. And with Penn state, they've done a pretty amazing job in two States, particularly Pennsylvania 
I would say if you are in Pennsylvania and you are offering a player that Penn State has not offered, you are dumb <laughs> because they are absolutely like on top of it when it comes to evaluating their own state and the players that are good in their own state. Most of their trap picks have been from that state, uh, which you would think stands to reason, but it's not like that with all colleges. Um, but New Jersey was the other one that they were really, really good at uh, in terms of their scholarship offer ratio to NFL players under the James Franklin regime. So Connecticut, a little different. Can't remember where Connecticut was uh, on that uh, food chain of uh, players offered as opposed to players that ended up starters and ended up uh, NFL draft picks. But um, again, another sort of a, a lightweight at linebacker. You know, we're seeing USC get smaller to some extent at linebacker. You get guys like Tacky Curtis, who are a, a bit more of a prototype type of, you know, 6'3", 220 uh, linebacker. Uh, whereas you get, you know, Ty Anthony Smith is another one that's, you know, only about in that 200 pound range in that 6'1", 6'2". Here you've got 6'3", 185 pounds for Elijah Newby. So interesting um approach for USC in terms of uh the guys that they're looking for at the linebacker position and uh maybe this is another one of those players that uh they're thinking could be the next Eric Gentry obviously he's three year, uh, three inches uh shorter than Eric Gentry but we talked a little bit about that last week uh when we were talking about uh was it uh, Jerome Williams I think that we were talking about is, is another guy that could be a potential uh, official visitor for, for USC, excuse me, uh, Gabriel Williams, not Jerome Williams, Gabriel Williams out of uh, Laurel, uh, Maryland, uh, your neck of the woods, St. Vincent's High School, uh, uh, another kind of, you know, 6'4", 200 pound linebacker that was talking about potentially uh, officially visiting USC. So yeah, that is a good segue into other potential, uh, potential visitors for USC. And um, you can break it down and, and get into uh, the first couple because you actually have spoken to uh, these prospects uh, last. Excellent segue working there for you, Gerard, because we have potential visitors as Elijah Newby helped bridge our gap into our next segment with players that have not locked in a USC official visit for June, the summer, but we think could. Now, these are some we're going to I'm going to list off some of these players. And as Gerard mentioned, two of them I most recently talked to Bellflower, California, St. John Bosco athlete Jason Mitchell. He keeps saying. Going to lock it in, going to lock it in, has not locked it in. My guess would be the June 16th weekend, Huntington Beach, California, three-star offensive tackle, Justin Taunau, who I would also include into that June 16th kind of weekend, maybe the June 23rd weekend. I'm going to check back in with him. He told me he's going to be taking an official visit, just has to get a date. So those are two guys we strongly believe will be on campus in June for an official visit. West Bloomfield, four-star defensive end, Brandon Davis-Swain who has taken unofficial before to USC Phoenix mountain point, three-star running back Christian Clark, as you know, canceled his official visit. So that could possibly be made up at some point for June temple Lake Belton, four-star quarterback, Selman bridges, San Mateo junior college quarterback, Sione Lelue. I probably butchered that. I am so sorry. Modern day five-star defensive tackle Aiden Breland, who we talked about on our last show, has been scheduling official visits. Non, none, not one for USC at this point. Decatur, Texas three-star running back Nate Palmer. Tyler, Texas running back Derek McFall. Upper Marlboro Flowers three-star edge rusher Obina Anwuka. 
as we noted in the war room, USC might be cooling a little bit on there. And then Laurel, Maryland, St. Vincent, four-star linebacker Gabriel Williams, Gabriel Williams, who Gerard just mentioned a few moments ago. Yeah, and a lot of names there uh, to unpack. Um, it is curious, you know, Jason Mitchell hasn't scheduled that visit. It's been a bit coy about that. Uh, kind of reminds me of talking to him about reclassifying. I uh, was a little coy about that, too, and it didn't end up happening. So that's an interesting one. Um, I think that uh, Brendan Davis Swain, you know, we'll see what happens with him. That is one of the few defensive linemen that USC has uh, potentially coming in for an official visit that is a true national defensive lineman. Um, I think Michigan is the leader there, and USC is kind of faded a little bit for him. So that would be one where USC has some ground to make up. But he should be on campus at some point uh, this summer. Uh, Christian Clark's interesting because we talked about him in the past, whether this was USC making that move to reschedule his visit or something came up. I've been asking around about him and that official visit that did not happen uh, in May here. Uh, it sounds to me like USC initiated that move and there is still potential that he could actually visit, but it's probably going to be later in the summer, which, again, ties into me being a little surprised that they were going to bring him in at that point in May. I really felt like they wanted to see what was going to happen with Taylor Tatum, and then all those dominoes sort of fall into place after that point. If they feel good about Taylor Tatum, they feel like they've built that momentum, and maybe he's only going to take one more visit to Michigan, then I think they kind of wait to see what happens with him but if they don't feel warm and fuzzy about their chances with taylor tatum after the official visit this weekend then you might see christian clark and maybe even another running back uh end up uh, on the official visit docket uh derek mcfall's guy they've been talking about uh taking the official visit uh decatur three-star running back uh nate palmer is another one um kind of similar uh running backs so maybe it's either or um i think uh he is an interesting one. I think, you know, again, I, I feel like maybe more of a plan B. I think there are other schools recruiting him harder. So, yeah, he could end up on campus for an official visit, but then I could also see him never officially visiting USC and being kind of a CJ blocker type where he just decides to commit to a Utah or to a Washington or somewhere before he actually ends up on campus at USC. Uh, now, one thing to also uh, – talk about and, and remind people is that these kids don't have only five official visits anymore. So there are plenty of kids that will, you know, they may commit and still take official visits during the season. And that's a new thing that all of these colleges have to get used to and have to try to figure out strategically as well. You know, how many of these kids are going to commit in, in July and August. And then because they can take, you know, an infinite amount of visits, still want to take visits during the season because it's like, Hey, I want to go see this big game. Oh, I want to go visit here. Oh, my team that I committed to, well, they suck now. And so that coaching staff might not be there. I'm going to go take, you know, three more official visits. So we again are looking at this with the emphasis of most of these kids nowadays, I think it's something like, you know, 85, 86% of the class um, is signed in December and that has impacted how many guys that are committing during the summer. And so, so much of these top players are off the board by the time that you get 
in the summer. That could change. You know, that could be a trend that all of a sudden gets dialed back because these kids can take more official visits than they ever had to. There, there's no longer that, well, I only got one more official visit. And it's so stressful trying to figure out what school you might official visit that you just don't officially visit anybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, I only got two more and I'm not really sure. I've got like four schools here. But when you have that sort of, hey, man, I could take four if I want to take four. I don't need to take four, but I can't. Th that might open you up and make it easier just to go ahead and go jump on a plane and go take an official visit somewhere else in November or October. So we'll see how that impacts things uh, when we get to it. But um, that's true of maybe, you know, an Aiden Breland. I, I know, you know, Aiden's talked about making a commitment in August. I would still think that he makes a commitment during uh, the 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 summer and before a modern day gets to to playing. Um, but nevertheless, is that going to be the end of his recruitment? No, I don't think so. I think that he's still going to look around and he's still going to entertain interest. And that's where Jericho Johnson comes in. Um, the big defensive tackle four star from Fairfield, California, six, four, 300 pounds. He's probably going to make a commitment later in the fall. So he's going to take some official visits during the summer, but he's one of those kids that I think is also going to take uh, three or four official visits during the season as well. And I think that's probably when USC is going to get him on campus. Um, he hasn't kind of said yay or nay on that yet, but that's my vibe right now. So there's plenty of those players that, you know, we're going to have to see now with, uh, you know, it's not being just five official visits that they're limited to how that opens up things on the back end where they've got a bye week or maybe after the season, they decide, you know, they're going to go and, and entertain some other programs and take some other visits. If that becomes something that again, dials back the importance that we put on summertime recruiting. Our final talking point for the first half of our show is USC or excuse me, not USC 24 seven sports, excuse me, released their final transfer portal rankings for the 2023 cycle and USC had 12 of Baker's dozen listed in the top 247. I'm just going to run through those very quickly. Obviously the gem of the class, Georgia defensive tackle bear, Georgia transfer defensive tackle, excuse me, bear Alexander checked in at number 14. That's a two spot drop from number 12, where he was initially ranked Arizona transfer wide receiver. Dorian Singer was the next highest rated prospect signee. At number 30, followed by Christian Roland Wallace, the cornerback at number 33. And then Wyoming offensive lineman Emmanuel Pregnon had a nice jump to number 40, up from number 52 in his initial ranking. And then that was the representation in the top 50. Defensive lineman Anthony Lucas just missed that mark at number 51, followed by running back Marshawn Lloyd at number 52. And then middle linebacker Mason Cobb rounded out the top 100 at number 74 for USC's representation. And then the final guys, Jack Sullivan was number 137 overall, number 15 defensive lineman in the class. And then Jarrett Kingston, number 219 overall. Michael Tarquin, number 223 overall. Outside linebacker Jamil Muhammad, number 224 overall. And Keon Bars, number 247 overall. And also Traquan Fagans, excuse me, I missed him, number 186 overall. So USC, well represented in the final transfer portal rankings update for 24-7 sports. Well represented, but it feels like they had a few top players drop a bit in the rankings. And 
it's obviously come up on the peristyle and there's been some people that have not been real happy with uh, how those evaluations went down. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I do think there's some question marks as to why certain players rose and why certain players dropped. It's obviously a interesting aspect when you talk about evaluating players that nobody has really seen in person for probably a couple of years, uh, especially, you know, the people that are evaluating, this is all evaluation pretty much being done by tape. I don't think 24 seven or anybody else has scouts out there going to colleges and, you know, trying to watch these players um, what really just for games. Cause a lot of these colleges anymore, they close down practices. So it's not like you're going to be able to go, and go to a USC practice and evaluate CJ Williams and see how CJ Williams is doing a year removed from high school. So a lot of this is done by tape, but you do look at some of the production numbers, the statistics that are coming from some of these players. And I think that absolutely, if we're looking for patterns and we're looking for observable analysis, the guys that are productive are the guys that end up being productive. Production begets production. And for USC, the players, for the most part, that they brought in that have been very productive for them are the guys that were productive at the schools they left. So when you see a guy like Dorian Singer sort of drop, you kind of scratch your head. It's like, okay, I mean, I I understand. Uh, Maybe you're not blown away with his athleticism. Uh, You know, there are question marks in terms of his overall ceiling as a NFL prospect. And uh, that's something that, you know, sometimes the evaluators and ranking makers lean on when they talk about rankings and, you know, what's the ultimate ceiling for him, et cetera. But in terms of, you know, the production that you expect from him at USC, it's going to drop off to some extent at USC as opposed to Arizona because USC's just got better receivers. The ball has to go around to more players. The same thing that happened with Jordan Addison. But nevertheless, in terms of the impact that he can make, you would think he's going to have a similar impact on the offense for USC. And it's when you look at him compared to other receivers that may have not had production at all at the schools that they're leaving, I think that's always an issue. I think that you have to emphasize production quite a bit. And and I'm just saying that based on what we've seen at USC, guys like Eric Gentry, guys like Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, Jordan Addison, those guys who were good players from the schools that they left and they weren't leaving because there were some other issues uh, they were leaving because they wanted to get a better opportunity at a bigger school and showcase themselves, have a better NIL brand. Those guys were still good. <laughs> they're still good at USC, just like they were good at their previous schools. But when you start getting into the guys that everything is built on potential, that's where you got to be a little more wary. You know, you got to be a little more wary of Anthony Lucas uh, than maybe Barry Alexander, because Barry Alexander showed even at Georgia, but the best defense in the country was able to get reps and able to make an impact in the national championship game when it still mattered. It wasn't just at the end of the game uh, where you, when Georgia was already blowing them out. I mean, he made some plays that mattered. And so that's always a big deal to me. You know, when you're looking at the guys that actually made impacts at the teams that they left and they have some stats, some stats and some production behind them uh, that tends to, again, it's correlate and trend and, and, and carry over to their new schools. You actually did a breakdown of this, Gerard, for the national championship teams or the I, national I, contenders. I did not do a breakdown. 24-7 did a breakdown. Oh. I am not taking credit for this, but I put it in the docket. Uh, some very interesting numbers that have come from just transfers in general. And this is not particular about uh, 
players or positions, but it is about the college football teams that made the playoffs and looking at their starting lineup. And so, you know, you have to look at this again within context. And the context is most of these programs are good programs that have been on top of college football for the better part of a decade. So they have rosters from the high school level that have been developed and are highly talented. So they haven't had a necessity to go after transfers. So we have to put that asterisk on this. We, we can just look at this blanket lead and say, well, numbers don't lie. Well, sometimes they do lie. And they lie if you do not put things into context and realize how you get to that number, right? Show your work, as they say in mathematics. So with 2022, the starters for the college football playoff teams, Georgia had none that were transfers. TCU had five. Ohio State had one. Michigan had one, okay? A lot different than, obviously, USC. But again, Georgia, Ohio State, and to some extent, Michigan, those are schools that had pretty good rosters from the high school ranks. They weren't trying to turn over their rosters like USC was. Uh, now, TCU is kind of an interesting uh, you know, outlier there because you did have a relatively new coaching staff, and you only had five transfers who ended up being starters. Now, we look at the 21 class uh, of uh, – college football playoff teams and Georgia had one transfer that was a starter. Alabama had two, Michigan had zero, Cincinnati had five. So again, you know, we're looking at the established schools kind of have less Cincinnati being, uh, you know, sort of not a, a power five school uh, had five transfers that started 2020 college football playoff teams, Alabama, zero Clemson, zero Ohio state two, Notre Dame two. So, you know, it's, it, since I think, uh, um, you know, 2020, uh, we're looking at like, you know, a total of like seven starters in, in the college football playoffs, 2021, there were eight and in 2020, there were four starters that were transfers and, um, the national champs combined, uh, for one starter in the last three years. So again, when we're looking at the approach and the strategy porthole versus, uh, prospects out of high school, the Alabamas and Ohio States of the world, the Georgias of the world, they are still putting their emphasis on recruiting out of high school. They're not putting a lot on the portal. There are those, you know, top players that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go for, but even in a situation where Alabama had something like 17 guys leave the roster, they only, I think, picked up two transfers, or at least from the first portal, I think they only got two transfers in. So they put a bunch into their high school football class where they had like 28 or 31 something high school football players, uh, which are entering the program. So the emphasis for evaluations and projections is bring them in from high school, develop your culture from the kids that are freshmen and then go through the system. And, you know, that is, I think, easier to do when you have a system and you have a culture that is well established like you do at those schools. And it's clearly a little different for USC, which you're trying to change the culture. You know, you're trying to get away from the losing culture that they had and you're trying to kickstart it with these transfers. But at some point, you know, everybody's waiting. When does USC turn that corner with high school kids? Everybody thought it was going to be the 2023 class. And while they had 
clearly more commitments in the 2023 class than the 2022 class, which, I mean, how could you not? You only had seven in 2022 coming out of high school. Uh, I think we thought 2023 was going to be a more generational type class for USC. It would be a better class for that than it ended up. And they still put a lot of emphasis on transfers. And when you look at summertime visits and you look at some of these positions and you look at needs, you still see where USC is clearly feeling like there's a safety net there with the transfer portal. Okay, Gerard, I think we have done enough production for the first half of this show. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk about our 2020 draft class fourth round. I'm so excited. But we'll do that after this break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gerard, how was your break? It was fantastic. I know Chris is excited about the second half of the podcast because this is when he gets to talk. This is when I get to do my thing, show off, you know, work on some of my vocal ranges, all those things. Gerard, do you think we should tell the listeners that we took our friendship to the next level and <laughs> played Xbox together online? I was going to make a joke about the first half of the podcast feeling a lot like playing division two with you. Yes. Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. I don't know how Gerard does it. He's just one shotting everything. And I'm trying to kill one person with five shotgun blasts. And he's already off to the next room. Like, where are you? Yeah. I'm still, I'm still back here. So yeah, we had our first Xbox live session. So, you know, just wanted to let that let the listeners know what's going on outside of this podcast between me and Gerard. But there we everybody, have that. Everybody's going to want to know when are we doing the NCAA football or whatever it will be called 2024. When it comes live out. Stream. Live stream. <laughs> Twitch streams. Twitch podcast. Gaming session stream. I don't know. We'll Blair already out. asked me about that. Blair's like, when are you guys going to do that when it comes out? And I'm like, Blair, are you serious? You really asked yeah, me? <laughs> that's, that's season three, baby. That's He's looking ahead to season three, baby. We're living in season two right now. But yeah, we'll figure that out. It's going to be a thing. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, I'll learn about it. Learn about streaming together, syncing up, whatever. I, you're going to help me too. But back to the show at hand. Just a small note. Because Ryan is off in another continent. This is something we would mention on the Parasol podcast, but we don't have the Parasol podcast for the foreseeable future. So I will just mention that the first three kickoff times for the first three games of the season 
for USC football were released today. That is a 5 p.m. Pacific time San Jose State game on Pac-12 Network, a 3.30 p.m. kickoff for Nevada, which will also be on the Pac-12 Network. And then on Fox, USC's final Pac-12 conference opener will be 7.30 p.m. Pacific time against Stanford. So not a lot of people are going to see these first two games as they're on the Pac-12 Network. Tough for a returning Heisman winner to start off the year on a Pac-12 Network telecast, televised game, whatever. So first two weeks, yeah, not a lot of people are going to watch USC on TV. So you should come to the game in the Coliseum, 5 p.m. and a 3.30 p.m. start. And then USC gets a primetime slot with the Fox on Stanford. So that's all I have for those. Gerard, you probably have nothing to add or don't want to add not, nothing to add for these uh, kickoff times because they don't concern you at all. But what does concern you is the 2021 draft class, fourth round. We don't know what we're talking about. Me and Gerard, in nine years ago, we did a uh, <laughs> recruiting piece where we would draft a hypothetical 2021 football class. There were certain parameters. You know, we had first round picks, second round picks, third round pick. We mimicked it like the draft. Certain parameters were USC. They had to have a USC offer and not until the final two rounds, I think, where we can kind of go find players that didn't have offers we could add. Uh, No five-star selections after the first two rounds and all these kind of things. So we've talked about the first and second round on this show. We've talked about the third round on the show. Now we're going to dip back in and talk about the fourth round of the show. Gerard, I'm sure you have no clue who your first pick of the fourth round was. I do. I have no clue. But champions are made in the fourth round. That's what okay. they say in the NFL. And okay. so this is why we can sit here and talk about first round, second round, and how dominant I was. The truth of the matter is it really becomes about the fourth round, fifth round, and because you have more picks in these rounds. So you have to be good on your ratio of success. This is true. This is where the drafts are won and lost. This is where you can find starters for value that you're getting in these rounds. So we'll see how we did. Gerard, I'm a little worried you're not going to remember this person's name. But your <laughs> your first round or your first fourth round pick was Bowling Green Kentucky athlete Jansen Dunn. Do you remember this person? Jansen Dunn. A six foot two, hundred and seventy eight pound safety okay. at Kentucky wow. ended up going to Kentucky. I believe he is still there. No, excuse me. He signed with Ohio State and then transferred to his hometown of Kentucky. So USC lost out on a battle to Ohio State and has ended up uh, transferring to Kentucky since then. Do we have any statistics for Mr. Dunn? I don't. Um, remember him probably a real peripheral type of recruit for USC and not a guy that they were ever really seriously involved with and again this is coming from that 2020 COVID year so guys weren't able to take official visits then so some of these out-of-state recruits were literally just names that came up and they were in that pool of scholarship offers that we were choosing from uh, when it came to this draft yeah if you give me a second I can pull those up. It looks like he's projected for this season to be a backup at the safety position. So that's that's not, not a 
great sign. Here we go. Let's see what he did. Six foot, 180 pounds. He transferred, played in six games last season, played some special teams for Ohio State. But yeah, he's only played in 10, no, excuse me, 12 games since his freshman season in 2021. It does not look like he's notched any stats. So 10 games, no stats. That's a miss. That's a a a miss miss for you. That's That's an L for for me. That's an L for you. Okay, you haven't taken many L's in this thing. You've been crushing me in this draft, but maybe this is the turning point. Maybe the fourth round is the turning point because my first pick of the fourth round was New Jersey defensive tackle Tywone Malone, <laughs> legend around these parts and a legend in this draft class, which I don't think was a terrible pick. I don't think it's a terrible pick. Went, ended up going to Ole Miss, two-sport athlete, has since entered the portal, entered the portal a couple months ago, and has since committed to the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I'm going to chalk this one up as a win, Gerard. Yeah, potentially. I mean, we know Tywone, I don't have a speech impediment, Malone, is uh, got some stats. He's got some stats behind him. And so he was considered a good get from Ohio State fans. I was a little bit like, okay, I mean, I guess so. Not quite Bear Alexander level, in my opinion, but a guy that still, I guess, has some potential. And, you know, I don't know why he was leaving Ole Miss necessarily for Ohio State. But, hey, listen, I had a guy leave for Ohio State, go to Kentucky and not do anything. You have a guy that's going to Ohio State and leaving Ole Miss who people think could still do something. So, yes, I think that would be a win at this point in time for you. Uh, Not a huge win. I don't know what uh, Tywone's statistics look like but uh i mean it looks like a step up for him going from Ole miss to ohio state yeah it's not like blown away stats if i recall he's had like a handful of tackles and a couple tackles for a loss it's nothing like crazy it's just a very limited uh sample size for him but you know he you know he's played a little bit obviously he's also on the baseball team um, I believe he had, oh, here we go. He had 10 tackles and a sack last season. So, you know, nothing that is going to blow you away, but, you know, probably can be a contributor, move into a contributor spot, at very least a death piece. But I know I was really excited about this pick when I made it. And the war room was very happy when we, when we made this pick. Uh, I, it seems like, Gerard, you were a little bit uh, jealous about me taking a big body defensive tackle because you also took a defensive tackle with your next pick, do you have any guesses to who you took? Brother, I have no guesses about anything happening in this podcast. Well, I'm sure <laughs> on this whole podcast. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm sure you could have figured it out, but you took Mr. Jay Toya with your second pick in the fourth round. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, at least he's been a starter for yeah. UCLA. Leaves. USC after having a very good spring ball and then matriculates over within a month (laughs) to UCLA and one of the stranger transfers that we have seen uh, playing spring ball for one team and then going to your cross town rival uh, the next month. So yeah, um, you know, ceiling wise, probably not a guy that's going to play much in the NFL uh, in hindsight, but nevertheless, uh, a guy who's been 
somewhat productive at UCLA last year, which uh, was his Richard uh, would have been, I think, his Richard season. I don't know. Last, I can't remember. He played. I believe he he's a red. I think he's a redshirt junior. Junior, really? I mean, this is 2020, so. And he's a sophomore. He's listed he's as a sophomore. sophomore. Okay. And that I don't think even includes the COVID waiver year that he has. But anyways, nevertheless, uh, I know he kind of got some run as a freshman, and that was something that, you know, I had some USC sources say, oh, he's going to have to sit out. He's not going to even play there, blah, blah, blah. You're wrong. He is going to play, and he did play at UCLA. But I don't know if it was enough games that he actually had to burn his red shirt or what have you. But nevertheless, yeah, he, he's been somewhat productive and has played somewhat with them, uh, not necessarily a star player for them. But like I said, I mean, he probably statistically is maybe better than Tyrone Malone. Um, but I don't know. It's, it might be close. I don't know if he's got 10 tackles in a sack. I don't know if he has a sack for UCLA at this point. I almost don't want to read my next pick in the fourth round. It's such a, a big old whiff, but I took athlete seven McGee. Oh, yeah. Has the record for maybe most transfers in high school, but signed with Oregon, ended up going to Jacksonville St- or Jackson State with Deion Sanders. And I have no idea if he's still there. I have no idea what's going on with uh, seven McGee. So great name has not panned out, panned out for him as a college football player. So, yeah, I took a I took a big old L on my second pick of the fourth round. Drug. Yeah, that one was a shocker that uh, he didn't uh, pan out at Oregon. But, you know, there were people that were pretty confident he wouldn't even get to Oregon. So I guess, you know, that was a little bit of a win uh, that he actually qualified for Oregon. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's not a huge surprise. Gerard went a little dynamic as well with his next pick in the fourth round. Gerard, you took a wide receiver who ended up signing with Alabama. You took JoJo Early. Uh, Aledo, Texas. Yeah, and now he has uh, transferred to TCU, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, I like JoJo Early. I, I, I like that pick. I remember JoJo Early. Dynamic, fast. Um, You know, he was part of that mass exodus this past offseason at Alabama and just didn't get a lot of run. And that's going to be interesting to see who comes from that exodus and actually produces. You know, was it just a whiff of an evaluation year for Alabama because you could not have kids on campus for camps. College coaches couldn't hit the road and evaluate players in May. You got to remember, that's the 2020 COVID year, right? So mm-hmm. that's a big issue, and people have talked about that with the transfer portal. I think uh, the amount of transfers are still up. You know, it's still trending upward. And I think uh, for the 2022 year, it ended up being something like 3,000 transfers. And I think for this past cycle, it ended up being 3,200 transfers. So, you know, it's still um, an increasing amount. But certainly from the 2020 year, because there was a lack of evaluation in person for these colleges, uh, you see where maybe some of these guys just were overhyped and uh, weren't able to uh, actually play up to their level. And schools like Alabama, who can go get better players and they can get new players, are just, you know, kind of uh, processing them out. So we'll see if a guy like JoJo Early, who, like I said, I liked, and TCU, I mean, I think that's a great get for them. They got a couple very good uh, wide receivers uh, from the transfer portal uh, this past cycle. And, um, you know, he's a guy that I think fits that offense really well. So I I still have some hope for JJ Earl being a good pick. 
Yes, you do. I, I don't hate this pick. Still potential for that one, unlike my seven McGee pick. But my last pick of the fourth round, you know, we could also classify as a whiff for me. I took inside linebacker Ethan Calvert out of Thousand Oaks, California. I know USC really wanted him, but ended up going to Utah. Did not play a lot. Ended up in the transfer portal and is now signed with Cal Poly. So, yeah. yeah that's a... Yeah. Not a great one for your boy on that one. So a lot of hits and not a lot what's, of what's really what's really bad. It's actually Kyle Polly Pomona and they don't even play football. So no, I'm just kidding. No, okay, okay. Because I, <laughs> why would Cal Polly announce the transfer of Utah linebacker Ethan Calfer if they did not have a football team, Gerard? I was because he's really good in agricultural and mathematics. Of oh, course. Okay, okay, okay. So I misspoke. We had a lot of misses. Not a ton of hits. Uh, so, yeah, we weren't uh, covering ourselves in glory with the uh, the fourth round here, Gerard. Yeah. And, um, you know, hey, uh, there's always the fifth round. <laughs> <laughs> there's always the fifth round, which we will tackle at, on another show in the future. So, and again, if you want us to do this exercise again for 2024, let Gerard know that you want him to participate in this. I'm I'm down to do it, Gerard, but we need to convince the big guy that it's worth doing again, that people will actually read it and we'll get more than 12 views uh, this time around. So <laughs> yeah, talking about it is getting more views. <laughs> We're yeah. getting more listens than we got views on it when we ran it the first time. But again, it was one of those things that uh, us, uh, like the coaching staffs, were having to you know, evaluate and look at a lot of these prospects a little bit from afar because of the COVID bubble that was going on. And in, in California, you know, you didn't have those players, the majority of them play until the next spring. Uh, so, you know, in some states like Texas and in the South, they did play. They did have seasons. It's just the coaches couldn't uh, legally <laughs> go out and uh, evaluate those kids in person. And they didn't have official visits that year. Uh, they didn't have a, a lot of things that are a part of the evaluation process. Uh, we did have that spring football season uh, for California, which I actually liked. It was very interesting having spring football, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, something about because, you know, it's the daylight savings and, you know, you go to games and it's always lit and it wasn't at night. There was quite a few games that were played. Uh, on Saturdays in the afternoons, it's, uh, man, Saturday afternoon high school football game is so much easier to attend than a Friday night high school football game in Southern California. In terms of driving and the freeways and the craziness that goes on, um, I know that, you know, most people would not exchange, but uh, I'm all for more Saturday afternoon games. Even in the fall, Saturday afternoon games tend to be just much easier to uh, get in and get out of. And so for my own selfish reasons of being able to travel and get in and get out of games and uh, get your interviews and, and be able to be close and get home. Um, yeah, that, that was actually a, a very nice part of um, that whole COVID uh, sort of uh, season that they had, um, which was technically in the next year, it was the 2021 year uh, when we were playing uh, high school football in Southern California in like, like March. I think we're like the end of February, March is when we had that season. And now it is time for listener questions, everyone's favorite part of the show. Just a reminder, if you have a question that you want read on the show, you can email us at podcast.uspeople.com. Just make sure you put the composite 
Cilantro Boys, 10K, Hurricane Chris, Gerard, whatever. And it'll go to my inbox, and that is podcast at uscfootball.com. Gerard, we have uh, not a ton of questions, but we have multiple, multiple, multiple two-question questions. So we we have some volume here. So we'll get right with the only non-multiple-part question here from Gregory. Hello, CT and GM. How does the team write the size of a recruiting class when they have too many commitments for a position group? Thanks. Touchdown, USC. How does USC write the class? You mean, okay, explain that to me. <laughs> I, I, this question I, me. I interpreted it as how do they, how do they cut down a position group excuse me, how do they cut down if they have too many commitments in a certain position group? That's what I thought he was asking. Too many well, commitments for a position group. Yeah, I mean, you know, USC's got three commitments right now in the 2024 recruiting cycle. So that's the least of their worries is cutting down. Uh, but if you, let's say, bring in, uh, you know, June 16th, you're going to have, I think, three, four receivers that are all coming in on that weekend. It's kind of the wide receiver group that is plan A for USC for the most part coming in that weekend. So you've got Ryan Pelham, you've got Draylon Miller, uh, you've got Mike Matthews, you've got Xavier Jordan, who's already committed. Let's say everybody wants to commit and you're like, uh, we only need three. And then there's four, you know, how do you get away from that? Well, you stop calling the guy that's committed that you don't want. That's basically how it works. Um, you know, maybe there's a conversation at some point if, He's committed and he stays committed that you can have to have that conversation and say, you know, listen, we don't have any room anymore. I mean, that does happen with schools where, you know, they have to shake loose some commitments uh, that happens, you know, obviously later in the year. Uh, but it, I'm sure it changes. But for the most part, it's just, you know, how hard are you recruiting that player? And if it's a top player, if you don't stay on top of that player and that prospect, you, you do not continue to recruit him and call him every week. It has sorted itself out for sure. So that's usually how it goes down. Now, if it's a player that's maybe not ranked that high and, and doesn't have a lot of other options, yeah, you may have to have that conversation say, listen, we thought we had room, but somebody else is coming back. And it's not even, you know, a matter of projection and just not wanting a player. It might be one of those things. And this is, again, the variable of the transfer portal that happens that you 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 just don't know numbers wise where you're going to end up you might have somebody that you thought was going to be one and done that is not one and done they did not play for you and contribute to the level where you know they're going to have any nfl aspirations the next year and they've got another year and you were sort of penciling in okay we're probably going to lose this guy so that's another thing uh with all of this when you're talking about transfers you know it's not just the potential prospects you can bring in but it's also the mentality and thought of, okay, you know, we've got this player plug in, he's going to play, boom, he's going to be gone the next year. And then that doesn't happen. All of a sudden it kind of backlogs certain positions that you might have anticipated uh, would have had a spot for a player. So yeah, those, those conversations tend to happen um, more so with players that are not going to be highly regarded, highly ranked that you might have. Uh, and clearly, you know, you're going to go through your list and there's a certain 
pecking order to the board as to, okay, we've got three receivers. Who do we like the best? Well, those are the guys we're going to keep. And then the guy that we're like, ah, not as sure of, that's what we have to shake loose. And so um, if it's a player that is highly ranked and touted and has other scholarship offers and other schools pursuing, hey, you just don't make those phone calls like you used to. Um, otherwise, you might have to make a phone call and say, listen, we don't have a spot because of this, that, and the other. We have a two question from we have I keep screwing up this reference to multiple questions for I'm just all over the place right now. Daniel Austin has two questions for the next two star pod. What's up with safety recruiting? To my count, USC has seven official visits scheduled at that position. Peyton Woodyard, Jordan Johnson, Rubel, Jalen McLean, Marquise Gallegos, Miles Davis, Jarvis Boatwright. And Marquan McCraney. So what is up with safety recruiting? Well, it seems like they've missed out on their top prospect, Peyton Woodard. Still, you know, still recruiting him hard before he kind of maybe shuts it down. He will get one final shot with him for this ninth visit. But yeah, it, it, they were going all in on Peyton Woodard early. Now it seems like they have to shift around a little bit and bring some guys up to their uh, top tiers as they as they move forward. And safety class is going to be an interesting one with all the bodies they have there now. But I would expect them to lose a bunch of bodies with Kalen Bullock possibly going to the NFL, Bryson Shaw graduating out. Uh, they have some guys from the last regime in Xavier, uh, Xavier, Xamarion Gordon, excuse me, Anthony Beavers. Uh, among those two. So safety is kind of an interesting spot right now. Safety is a spot that you now have a big jump in the upperclassmen. And in previous years, there's a lot of sophomores there, a lot of redshirt freshmen, and now those guys are moving on. And they're still, uh, I think most of the safeties that are on the roster still have the COVID waiver year. So in terms of eligibility, there's no actual seniors under that label who are gone regardless they have to leave uh at least from our scholarship chart uh looking at it um now there are some that are listed as as seniors and what have you on the main roster but in terms of actual eligibility when you take into account the covid waiver year uh there are no actual exiting seniors but you have max williams caleb bullock latrell mccutcheon bryson uh um, bryson straw uh jalen smith uh, they're all juniors and again listed as seniors in some situations, but they still do have that year if they want to take that year, if they want to petition for that year. Um, so it is a more upperclassman heavy position than it has been in previous years. And I think, as you noted, with guys like Xamarian uh, Gordon and Anthony Beavers, those are potential guys that maybe if they're not getting the type of playing time that they want, they start looking elsewhere as well, and you get attrition from transfers. So it's two prong for USC right now. And that means it's going to be a bigger class than it has been. Now, in terms of numbers, how many guys are they actually taking? I think it's probably three. And I think that includes that sort of nickel corner safety position that, you know, you kind of goes either way. You can say, well, they're taking three corners or you can say they're taking three safeties or, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to know like who's actually going to be what everybody's a corner in the recruiting process because everybody wants to hear that they can play corner, even if they're a safety and they can't play corner. 
Um, but I think it's it's an eclectic mix. We kind of touched on that before, um, where it, it's a group of some guys that they're definitely traction guys um, that we don't know a whole lot about. And then there's some guys that clearly USC is going to be in a position to close with. You know, Marquise Gallegos, I think that's a guy that is 100% more of a closing type guy. You bring him in June 16th, I think he has the best relationship with the staff. He's a player that they had a scholarship out to early and seemed to kind of fade a little bit with him and weren't quite as involved. And now they've kind of circled back on him. Miles Davis, we talked about him before. He's got a crystal ball for USC. And USC's got to go head-to-head with Texas probably for him. Going to take that visit to Texas here in the coming weeks. And then potentially could make an announcement right after that. Um, So there are some guys there that USC has uh, a very good shot at. And you can kind of pencil in. But then there's just a bunch of other guys. The guys like Jarvis Boatwright, who... Don't really know much about is just a kind of a name. And and is he a player that actually ends up taking that official visit? You know, does he get on campus this weekend or is he just a guy that kind of falls through the cracks uh, kind of remains to be seen. So yeah, it's a, it's an eclectic, interesting group. It's a a bunch of names. um, And certainly again, it's a position where you're really looking at three different positions that you're filling with that. I mean, you've got a free safety, you've got a strong safety, and then you've got a nickel type safety and USC has in the past year and i think even looking back at what oklahoma did tended to use a three safety personnel grouping as opposed to an extra cornerback or you know more of a nickel linebacker and you know they seem like they want to still go that route but i do think that you know college football is changing and that's a position that's sort of a stress point for defenses who are you putting at that position are you putting max williams there at that nickel safety position, or are you going to put an Eric Gentry or, or, or go back a little old school and put somebody who's more of a Sam linebacker, that position, or do you want to put somebody who is a better coverage guy and actually put a nickel uh, that is got more cornerback experience there, like a Trey Quan Figgins, you know, that's a potential um, candidate to play that nickel corner position. So we'll see how it shakes out and, and what goes on, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird mix of, some guys that uh, are, are just kind of names um, in the recruiting database and, and don't necessarily have a lot of history with USC in terms of taking unofficial visits and, you know, being at USC and, and USC having some, you know, interesting angle. And then guys that, you know, USC's obviously a bit more established with. I mean, even with Peyton Woodyard, I mean, we told everybody when Peyton Woodyard committed to Georgia, yeah, okay. We'll see what happens <laughs> over the next course of the year because we knew that he was still going to listen to USC and several other schools, and we knew that Georgia was going to continue to recruit at the safety position as well. So, yeah, Peyton Woodyard, I, I wouldn't necessarily completely write off for USC either, uh, but, uh, you know, he is still committed to Georgia right now, and, you know, there's some other schools like Ohio State that are looking at him. So we'll see, you know, what happens from the official visit uh, onslaught here, you know, this, uh, gauntlet of swords that some of these kids have and, um, you know, what the timing of the official visits, how that impacts their decisions going forward. But the safety position is one of those positions where there's a deluge of names. And by the 16th, I feel like, you know, we're, we're going to have a probably better idea of, of who's in and, you know, whether, uh, you know, some of these were, were maybe, um, 
not not necessarily needed. You know, there was a little, maybe a little overkill at the safety position. I mean, I don't expect USC to you know take five safeties in this class. I mean, you never know. Uh, I, but I've got no indication or suggestion that they're really trying to over recruit the position because we listed those potential juniors uh, that could move on from the from the junior from the junior class that that still have technically a year of eligibility left but uh some of those guys are at, listed as seniors and i don't know if i see a bunch of guys that are like they're gonna jump to the nfl right Kalen bullock is the one guy but i don't think you know max williams uh, let's throw mccutcheon uh, bryson shaw um you know jalen smith is a guy that if he had a good enough year one of those guys that knowing his background and, and knowing him I wouldn't necessarily say that would be an impossibility that he would jump to the NFL, you know, and people would say, Oh dude, you need another year, but he might not agree with that. So maybe, you know, Caleb Bullock and Jalen Smith are potential guys there. Um, but the rest I think would probably have to come back uh, for that COVID season. If uh, they were, they were technically seniors academically. And then the second part of that question is, how many official visits do you anticipate USC saving for transfers because of the 56 limit? To my count, USC has 40 official visits scheduled as of now. That doesn't include guys you'd assume they want to bring in, like Jason Mitchell, Jericho Johnson, Aiden Breland. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, you're getting into that, that number, and it does sort of dictate to you um, you know, how many guys you can go after as transfers, right? So, you know, you're leaving, you're basically leaving 16 there, you know, if you don't have any more visits, but we do anticipate they're going to schedule more visits. That, uh, that number isn't reset until you're in April. So technically the second window is, um, you know, they've already had guys that have come in and officially visit, um, uh, let me think. Bear Alexander technically would have been uh, for this cycle because I think he came in for his official visit post. And I don't know what the date is. I, I For some reason, I want to say it's April 22nd is the actual date that the calendar switches over. But I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, and I can't remember when Bear Alexander technically did officially visit USC. It was oh, it was that weekend where they had. They had a couple guys come in that weekend. Didn't they have the kid from um, from Europe come in too, right, during that weekend? Uh, the that edge was... rusher, Emmanuel Okoya. Yeah, I think he came in that same weekend as Bear Alexander. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyways, it might actually be more than 41 is what I'm saying. It might be actually like 43 or something of that nature. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting too, how that – because, I mean, 16 – and let's say they end up, you know, having like five more guys uh, set visits for USC, then you're, 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 yeah, you're, you're going to be in that like 10 range of, um, of, of transfer visits. So you, you definitely, um, <laughs> you, you reduce the number of opportunities you have to get guys on visits officially, but let's also make those air quotes officially because we know with nil and how usc has worked with transfers uh guys like caleb williams never took an official visit to usc (laughs) caleb williams was never on an official visit to usc and he still ended up at usc and obviously that was a unique situation but nevertheless 
Um, you know, the, the whole official visit thing is now becoming a little bit of a question whether there will even be official visits. And, you know, there's still this technical limitation on the schools only being able to have 56, 57, uh, whatever the number is. It, it was 55. It's kind of kind of go up and down. You know, will that even exist in the future? Because I think overall where we're getting to the point is the acknowledgement of with NIL and collectives, they're just flying kids around. You know, these kids are taking all kinds of quote unquote unofficial visits, but they're not paying for anything. They're not paying for their room lodging and they might be more extravagant in some situations than actual official visits. I don't know, but that's why you have this change and it might be just part of the change that we see at some point. They may just say, you know what? Visits are visits and there's no limit for the school. There's no limit for the kids. You know, you're going to pay whatever you want to pay to bring a player in and i mean there might be even more rules that are set up right now that might be wiped off the board uh because there's a lack of enforcement you know that's ultimately uh what makes or breaks a rule why there's a regulation if you do not have enforcement of that rule that regulation then that rule and that regulation is completely tits on a bull it's just it's it's useless it doesn't really have any value and there's there's no need for it um you have to be able to enforce rules for rules to have any kind of value so at this point in time with the collectives and the shell companies and you know boosters uh paying kids through proxies and all these other things that are going on right now uh, i think that uh with the nca not having any sort of subpoena ability and they don't have the ability to access financial records and things of that there's only so much they can enforce and so you know even the indirect enforcement that they've tried to use to some extent through the schools right which is kind of where we're at right now where the nca is like hey you know we're we're trying to put pressure on the schools to then put pressure on their collectives i mean that's only working to a certain extent and you can already see with these state laws the schools are saying, hey, you know, we don't have any control over these people. And the NCAA, at some point in time, there will be something that comes up where the NCAA says, well, you should have, which is kind of the, the guys that they used to go after USC with the Todd McNair, Reggie Bush case. Um, it wasn't what USC did or didn't do. It was what they should have known, quote unquote, according to the NCAA, which is obviously incredibly interpretive. And, um, you know, it, you can you can you can twist that any way you want to. And so that's, that's basically where they are right now with all this, you know, what, what should the schools should have known? Uh, these guys are, you know, your boosters and they're involved with, um, you know, donating other monies and other things, resources to your university. And they are affiliated and officially with the university uh, to some extent or another. But again, if, if you've got these shell companies and these people, that are actually giving millions of dollars to universities. Otherwise, they are not on the deed, let's say, right? Um, they, their, their names are not officially involved to that extent. Uh, it, and, and the money is going through other hands to go to these collectives. And then the collectives are giving money to the recruits. It, they're just removed from it to the point where it's hard for the NCAA to really actually do anything about it. If, if that's, you know, their, their, their motive um, is to control, you know, continue to control um, because they've controlled in the past the boosters and how they operate. And again, that's sort of indirectly through the schools themselves, penalize the school, and then you penalize the booster uh, if you don't have 
the ability to know what these donors are doing. You don't have access to any of these records and you don't have access to the money. Um, you're going to need like some kind of whistleblower to say, oh, this was really going on. And they have to have access to that to that information to be able to for it to either go to court or something of that nature. So people understand it and know what's going on. So um, a roundabout way of talking about the official visit process. And when you're talking about numbers, how many does USC have and not have for transfers? You know, it's a little bit of like, well, you know, how many of these transfers are actually taking true official visits, you know, that are on the school's dime and that are on the record as official visits? And how many guys can you bring in that are just coming in on unofficial visits? And that's enough to wind them and dine them and bring them in. And they feel like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm ready to uh, become a Trojan. And next two part question comes from David. And I'm going to kind of lump these together. What happened to Brandon Baker's USC recruitment? It felt like USC had the lead in his recruitment briefly, and everyone was singing his praises after Adrian Clem left for the NFL. And the second part of that, now that Baker is not even considering USC, suddenly we care that he is a right tackle in high school. Do you guys acknowledge being more critical of recruits when they lean away from USC and not acknowledging the drawbacks of recruits that USC signs? Similarly, with Ethan White, Jarjan mentioned his run blocking issues until he didn't enroll with us. Best. David, now, hold on. Before I let Gerard have his piece, because this question did get Gerard a little bit fired up before we started this show, we, we, before we started hitting the record button. So, Gerard, be nice. But I will say that Gerard has talked about Brandon Baker only playing on the right side or playing the right side in high school way prior to when we, we talked about it on last week's show or two weeks ago, whatever that show was recently. He has mentioned that, you know, him and Shotgun went out to a modern-day game last year, and they saw DeAndre Carter up, up front, and they saw up close, excuse me, and they saw Brandon Baker up close as well. And they talked about the negatives and the positives after that game as well. So this isn't something new that Gerard has brought up. You know, he has mentioned the right tackle thing before. So, Gerard, I'm going to let you have your – Peace, but you know, don't be nice uh, because you ready for the hurricane? You, you can have the floor now, Gerard. I'm always nice, and I'm always very politically savvy when it comes to uh, potential criticisms. And whether this is from a USC fan or a Duck fan, can't really tell by the tone of the question. I would say with all due respect, you're not listening to this podcast or you're not reading the peristyle. If suddenly you might be surprised that we're talking about Brandon Baker playing right tackle or Ethan White and his evaluation being a better pass blocker than a run blocker. Now, I don't know where that's coming from lately because obviously Ethan White hasn't been a part of USC's future here for a while, but we did talk about that when uh, we heard about him not being a part of the transfer class. But again, I mean, these are not sour grapes. These are cotton candy grapes and they're delicious because we talked about that when, before he actually was committing to USC, we did a player evaluation of him uh, on this podcast. In fact, and I talked specifically about how it was surprising a guy that big, you would think he was more of a mauling sec run blocker as a guard but he was actually a better pass blocker and that actually came out through the pff rankings later on we saw his grade he was a better pass blocker than he was a run blocker 
I wouldn't say issues necessarily as a run blocker, but he was clearly a better pass blocker than a run blocker. Now, with Brandon Baker, as Chris said, Shockin and I, uh, we've covered several games of modern day, obviously, but the first game of the season we saw last year was at Centennial, and we watched uh, both DeAndre Carter and uh, Brandon Baker, and I, I think we ISOed on both players uh, video-wise. And after the game, we kind of came to the conclusion, you know, neither were really overwhelming as offensive tackle prospects. They didn't necessarily blow us away with their dominance. And we subsequently talked about that on one of the podcasts. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was just like a regular recruiting podcast at that point. Might have even been mine. Nevertheless, the caveat there was that, you know, DeAndre Carter is not going to play off to tackle in college, uh, even though he is the left tackle for modern day and has been the left tackle at modern day for the past two seasons, he is going to be an offensive guard. But with Brandon Baker, he's being ranked higher as an offensive tackle, and most were looking at him as an offensive tackle. And the dominance wasn't there, but it was also a question of, you know, he's still playing right tackle. And I thought coming into the season, that was going to switch because a lot of schools were looking at Brandon Baker as being more of a left tackle. So I thought, okay, Marty is probably going to flip them uh, or maybe they move DeAndre inside. You know, they have quite a few good offensive linemen there, especially for a high school football program. They can mix and match, but they didn't. And it was basically an explanation coming from Modern Day uh, sources there on the staff. Just, hey, they're comfortable where they are and we like them where they are with the offense that we run and the tendencies that we have. We like Brandon being over at right and we like uh, uh, DeAndre being at, at left. So I think the question then, OK, we're talking like a year ago, comes up. Um, is this the first time that? And this was when he was ranked number one in the nation as an offensive lineman and an offensive tackle, but more he was just going to be a five star. Is this the first time that 24-7 has ever had a, a five star offensive tackle, uh, number one in the state, not play left tackle in high school? That was the question that was made then. So, you know, I think if. And, and I'm making a joke about Dave being a duck fan. It's just, you know, because of the Brandon Baker thing. And obviously Oregon has come back into the fray with him and, and probably lead at this point after they slipped, I think uh, quite a bit, you know, when Adrian Clem left, I think what you're getting is really just the echo chamber of the message boards. It's not what we're saying. We haven't changed anything that we've seen from an evaluation standpoint. You know, it stands. We've been talking about this for, for many, many months, and we brought it up before. But now, because it fits the narrative of the Trojan fans on the message board and a reason like, oh, we don't need them anyway, which is sour grapes, certainly. USC needs and should have offensive linemen like Brandon Baker. Maybe he's not a franchise left tackle. You know, I think it is a question mark that he hasn't played left tackle. It's a different position than right tackle. Absolutely. Especially if you're playing a tight end. And modern day had a very good tight end last season that ended up going to Texas. So when you're covered by somebody, it's a different, that's a different position you're playing than you're playing left tackle. But nevertheless, I think that's just become sort of a reverberation from the message boards talking about it and bringing it up more in a negative light than we have, you know, we've not said, Oh, well he's overrated because he's never played left tackle. It's more of a question has there ever been a left tackle who was the number one left tackle nationally 
in the nation. You're telling me there's not another offensive tackle in the nation that's better that has and, and yet never played left tackle. That's kind of, you know, because that's always what we look at blindside of the quarterback left tackle. That is the key position, right? The right tackle is not. If you look at the NFL draft, you know, the franchise position is the left tackle position. That is where you're going to find the defense's best pass rusher. And so, yeah, it's a different, you know, it's a different position and never having to play that at the high school level. It's just a question. It's just a question that remains um, from an evaluation standpoint for, for Brandon Baker and, and whether he is uh, as good as the ranking says he's good. And, and you can make a similar question. I think now with Aiden Breland being a five-star, you know, production wise, has he played to that level? You know, are we reaching a little bit just to get our, our quota on the West coast um, up there with, with guys who are, you know, five stars and what have you, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was a question that was brought up with Mateo Uyunglele uh, quite a bit last year with USC. And there were Trojan fans that were like, I don't get it. I don't see it. You know, he's not produced enough at St. John Bosco to be rated a five-star. And they said it then before he had made his decision, whether he was going to USC or not. And, and they are absolutely uh, – legit questions to ask you know it, it, up front you know it, production you know how much should it be emphasized in a rating as opposed to just physical potential and so you know again it, it, they're really questions and, and i think you know there's a difference between that open-ended question and saying well listen there's the potential and there's those attributes which have not been checked off the list and so is it not necessarily criticism it's just you have to show that there's a void there of empirical evidence uh, that this player has, has been able to do these things. And again, with Baker, I think it's just a matter of playing left tackle. And that's a different position than playing rag tackle. And uh, I don't think that's being critical of him. I think that's just calling it as it is. It's a question mark. You know, how how is he going to be able to transition to the next level? If he was just, you know, a four star and he was like among the top 10, you'd say, well, whatever, you know. He'll, you know, we'll see how that transition goes. I just think you put a player on a pedestal a little bit when you put him as a five-star and the number one rated player at his position. Like you kind of, in my mind, there's, there's not a lot of questions there. It's certainly not a question of position. It's, it's like, you know, having a quarterback that's a, a five-star um, that, that just never thrown the ball beyond 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. Now, he may have an amazing arm, and he may go to a camp, and he may throw the ball uh, really long. But in a game, he's never thrown the ball more than 15 yards in, in four years. You you kind of say to yourself, that's a that's an evaluation question mark. That's a box that has not been checked. And that's kind of an important box. It doesn't mean he can't make those throws. There's other situations and circumstances where he has. But when you're in a game 11 on 11, and, and it's under the lights, and he's not making those passes, you're like, okay, doesn't mean he can't, but he hasn't yet. And that is, I think, to anybody who's a smart evaluator, they put that, you know, as, a, as something that you you do not you not gloss over because it'll come back and bite you in the ass because when that player can't do it at the next level, it's like, well, listen, <laughs> all, of the, all of these things were there for you to observe and you just decided to turn a blind eye to them. And uh, and that, that that does you in. So, yeah, we, it's just a matter of, um, of of acknowledging those things and 
Um, you know, the, the greater point of like, oh, well, it's just sour grapes all the time. And every player that doesn't go to USC, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have something negative to say. That is not true. I mean, you know, people have asked about uh, Miles Davis and his player evaluation. And I'm like, you know, yeah, it's got decent film. It doesn't jump out at me. It doesn't like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to be a next level guy and he's amazing and everything like that. Now, you know, I'd like to see more of him, but yeah, his tape doesn't like jump off um, at me as being like, a, you know, super elite, certainly not like a Braylon Shelby, you know, where it's just one of those things where uh, had seen Braden Shelby and, you know, I would have loved to pound the table for him as a five star, but I never saw him in person. And that's a big deal. Uh, but watching the film, it's like this guy is definitely underrated. And it turned out he was underrated according to the 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 recruiting rankers and committee as well because he moved up the rankings quite a bit uh, over the season, which I think was a lot to do with just watching film and watching him progress. But you could see even just from his junior huddle film, damn, man, this guy is – he's got some stuff to him that uh, special. And um, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you, you just call it. Uh, as it is. And, um, you know, there's always going to be uh, things that uh, either you just don't see on film and what have you. And again, it's not, you know, they don't have that ability. It's just, you have not seen that ability. Our final two questions comes from Andrew who actually sent in like six questions, but he said he would not be offended if I only picked (laughs) a couple of ones. So Andrew, please don't be offended. I picked the two most interesting ones that, or at least I found interesting that I don't think we've really addressed on this podcast before. Gerard, the last one's specifically for you, but the first one is, do most recruits strategically plan their visits to where the schools they favor get the last visits? Xavier Brown, for example, he goes to USC, Ohio State, Bama, Oregon. Is that a tell? We said that Lockhart planned, Jordan Lockhart, that has planned his visits so that USC would get the last word. Can you talk a little bit about visit date strategy from both player and the school side of things? Wouldn't the school always want to have the last visit? Because it seems incredibly weird that someone would set four official visits in June and decide to shut it down after his first visit. Now, I will say that it seems like historically, as far as like as long as I've been covering uh, recruiting and I'm talking more so pre NIL era, it seems like for the most part or a lot of the part, a, vis- a, a player will save that final visit to the school they kind of like the most. Now, that isn't always the case, obviously, but I would say a lot of the kids do think that way, or the kids did think that way in, in terms of scheduling that final visit for you know the school they're, they're really thinking about. And there was a reason why USC – Loved getting the the last visit. They always seem to get the last visit, especially with local kids. USC getting the last visit was just like a thing. So, but in the NIL days, I mean, I still think kids do, at least high school kids, because we've talked about how high school kids tend to say that last visit for the school they're thinking about the most. And transfer portal guys tend to... If you get the first visit, that's the key visit you want for these transfer guys because they make the decision so quick. So that's the kind of the reverse between high school and transfer. So, but with NIL, it does seem like you can get that kind of quote unquote final visit, even if you have the first visit, because you can shut it down early on in the recruitment. You could get that first visit. And then after that, 
you know, they might not want to take the rest of their official visits. So I think there's more potential for teams that get earlier visits to shut things down in the NIL landscape. But for the most part, I think high school kids do plan out their visits kind of with the the ones they're more serious about at the end of everything. To answer Andrew's question, yes. I think from the recruits' perspective, there is a little bit of a tell there. The school they feel comfortable with, they've checked a lot of boxes with, and they feel like, you know, I'm going to see all this other stuff to put it up against the school that I feel the best about. And then I'll go visit that school. And so I think not all of the time, this is not always the case, but I think a majority of the time there is a bit of a tell in terms of uh, the lineup of official visits. Now, there is something that does impact that to some extent. And I would say it's also how the schools themselves want to line up their visits and what date they pick to have their commits come in, what date they have to have their golden hour. For whatever reason, strategically, they want to pick a certain date to have their real big momentum push. And for USC, it was the third week of June last year. Okay, And a lot of people were critical of that being a bad move because all Ohio State, Oregon, whoever – They're having all their big weekends the week after, and all those kids are going to go to some other school, take their official visit, and it's going to hurt USC because it's going to be the last visit or going to be the visits that really sway those players. But it's a little bit of like, you know, what's the saying? The, um, the, um, grass is greener on the other side. No, 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 no. It's, it's Uh, the, uh, kill two birds with one stone. Anyways, it's been blanked out of my mind. Um, but it's 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 one of those things where it, it's like you, you you is it is it they're visiting that school last because that's the school they want to go to anyways. That's that's the school that they like the most, or is it because they just sort of line things up and it ends up being the last school that they talk to has the biggest impact on their decision because they got the last word. And so I I would think there's a little bit of probably both there for USC to get the third visit strategically, you could look at it as, okay, so you've already had an opportunity to take two other official visits. You're taking your third official visit. There is more potential that you could shut it down after three official visits, two official visits to other schools, and then your official visit to USC, and then you shut it down and you don't go somewhere on that last weekend. Right. So, I mean, you're kind of playing it in the middle a little bit with that type of strategy, as opposed to, you know, being the last visit. And maybe you don't actually get to get that kid on campus because he goes somewhere else and he decides to shut it down. I mean, that's happened with USC before, you know, having that third week where there were some guys that were supposed to officially visit USC uh, for golden hour or maybe the week before. And they decided to take a visit to a school and then commit on the spot. Um, you know, Elijah Page was one of those kids last year that took that official visit to Notre Dame and shut things down. And we were thinking he's going to be officially visiting USC during the summer. And he never did. He didn't officially visit USC until he reopened his recruitment and came in October. So yeah, there's, there's an argument to be made for the placement 
of that in terms from a strategy standpoint for the school. And that does come into play. So yeah, USC doesn't have a bunch of kids coming in on June 23rd, which is the last official visit weekend, but USC has chosen to have their bigger official visit weekend with their commits. And I would say all their commits, but there's only three, but they have a majority of the guys clearly they feel better with. That seems to be the weekend that they are bringing those guys together, right? The 16th weekend where you've got guys like Marquise Gallegos, you have uh, DeAndre Carter, you have those guys that they feel like they're right at the top with, if not leading, and they can use that as a closer weekend. And you bring all those kids together, you get that camaraderie and you build some momentum with that type of weekend. And that's it. And that's when they shut it down. And there is no, okay, we're going to go visit Oregon. Now, I will also add that USC still did get some of those kids that did officially visit Oregon the next week after they officially visited USC for the golden hour official visit weekend. And that was Micah Manuelos and Alani Noah were two guys specifically. Alani Noah wasn't going to take that visit to Oregon. Oregon had tried to push for him to commit at some time in May. And then he balked and they kind of got the feeling like, ah, maybe he's not into us that much. And they started trying to go somewhere else and they had some plan B's and those didn't work out. And they circled back. I think mostly through Michael Benuelos, who was pretty high on Oregon at that point. And, or, and Michael Benuelos and, and Alani Noah kind of got close on the USC visit. And then they end up going on that Oregon visit. That looked bad for USC. That didn't look good for USC. That looked like, uh-oh, now they're going to lose both those guys. You're going to lose Noah and they're going to lose Michael Benuelos. But they didn't end up losing him. They both end up committing to USC. And they end up getting David Peavy as well. So, yeah, it's one of those things where – I, I absolutely think, yes, if the, if the recruit is able to just pick whatever date, then it tends to line up. The schools you're more comfortable with, they tend to get that visit last. They've seen everything they need to see. They like everything they've seen. They just want to sort of compare it with other stuff. Um, but in some situations, the schools themselves have their own strategy and they push for a certain date. And again, in USC's case, the 16th has kind of been a date that they pushed for last year. And it was obviously a date that they've kind of pushed for this year. Um, and that's, you know, from a strategy standpoint, like I said, they're kind of playing it in the middle. It's it's towards the end of summer. There's one more week. Yes, there can be some school that sneaks in and gets them on campus to have the last word. But USC feels like it's still towards the end and they're able to uh, make that push. And maybe, like I said, you end the process right then and there. You know, and, and, and that, that hasn't happened a whole lot. You know, uh, I don't know if there were too many guys that, you know, abruptly committed and ended the process right there after the golden hour uh, week, even though, you I mean, you had a bunch of commitments come from that week. You had Deuce Robinson. Obviously, he didn't shut things down right away. Uh, you had Walker Lyons also didn't shut things down right away, committed to Stanford first. Um, you had uh, trying to think of uh, any of the other recruits that uh, were there. There wasn't a whole lot of okay, we're going to shut things down immediately. Most of these kids all want to commit in July and they will take, you know, some time, a few weeks to at least go over what they've seen and everything. Um, and, and, and the more buffer there is, it's probably a little better. You know, if uh, you didn't get that last visit, um, maybe you were able to change your mind. Maybe they were leaning towards a certain school and uh, you were able to kind of, you know, change uh, the narrative a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's from a strategy standpoint, something that can kind of change uh, whether, you know, when you look at it at face value, 
you know, is uh, Xavier Brown really leaning to Oregon or, you know, maybe Alabama is there, you know, maybe Alabama said, you know, this is the weekend we want you to come in on, you know, this is, this is going to be our big weekend. And I'm not hundred percent sure, you know, what weekend Alabama's big weekend is, but um, you know, that, that can affect that too. That can affect that itinerary for, for a prospect. Gerard, the say you were thinking of was uh, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Yeah, that was that was that was it. That was it. And the final question from Andrew is for you, Gerard. So you can take us home with this. Lincoln Riley just named you the GM of USC recruiting. Can you talk about some of the things that you would keep in place in terms of the strategy and some things that you would potentially change slash do differently? I know. One would be for more public practices and injecting more energy into those. And Chris, please don't limit GM's reply on this one. Let our guy cook. So I'm going to let I'm going to have let Andrew have his wish. I'm actually just going to leave the room and go get a sandwich. You can take all the time you need to break down your strategy as the GM of USC recruiting. Well, the anticipation here is that I'm going to go on some type of rant as the GM of GM, I'm not. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I am not um, that full of myself that I'm going to sit here and try to go on this long diatribe of what USC is doing wrong in recruiting. I mean, we have to look at the overall ranking that they got last year, which was top 10. And yeah, there are certain aspects of recruiting in the high school ranks that USC has to improve upon, but to what extent still remains to be seen because we don't know how much of a supplement the transfer portal is going to be long-term. We know that there are schools that are well-established schools in the college football playoff, which are not using the portal the same way that USC has. But again, within context, these are schools that haven't needed to use the portal in the same way as USC. So yeah, I'm not going to sit here on my, uh, what is it, Monday morning, uh, armchair and uh, sit here and talk about how USC is doing all these things wrong in recruiting. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen in this new era, what is right and what is wrong. And I'm not that guy to jump ahead and try to be Mr. Know-it-all and tell you, Oh, this is how it's going to work out. And this is the way to go. When the truth of the matter is it's too fluid to really predict how it's going to go, you know, is, the approach of using NIL to lure transfers over high school recruits, the way to go. Um, I heard some stuff that, you know, there's a lot of schools that are starting to go that way, that they are not going to reach as much for high school players as they will for transfers in the future. Um, but again, we have to kind of see how that, how that plays out statistically in terms of production uh, contributions, et cetera. Uh, the culture building that goes on, you know, can USC build a championship culture with the amount of transfers that they've brought in or, and are bringing in, or do you need to go to the ground level of the freshmen that you're bringing in the younger guys that haven't been around and uh, you know, hope to get them from a, a little cleaner slate, if you will, in terms of culture and expectations. Uh, we're again, we're trying to just observe to see how it all plays out and if, able, if USC is able to make uh, a big push from that standpoint. I mean, you mentioned the public practices and open scrimmages. And I do think there are things that I saw from the Pete Carroll era that are sort of the opposite of 
the approach of Lincoln Riley that worked. But you have to do what you're comfortable with. You know, Lincoln Riley is not going to be Pete Carroll. He, he, he shouldn't try to be Pete Carroll. He has to be Lincoln Riley. And if it comes up manufactured and fake, it's not going to work either. Uh, I bring those things up just because I've seen them work at USC. And I do think Los Angeles as a city and USC being in a big city like Los Angeles, it's a different animal. It's a different animal to just about any other college football city town that you're going to recruit in and, and be based in. You know, Miami is is maybe the only other where it's um, a level of intensity, pace of life scrutiny, energy that is only compared to by the pro game. And so you do have to probably utilize things a little different than you would Norman, Oklahoma or Tuscaloosa, et cetera. And that's kind of a learning um, process, I think, for the coaching staff and for Lincoln Riley and, and just the football staff in general, learning L.A., learning the West Coast, learning the way people are the way the kids are the demographic is uh certainly from the standpoint and i answered this question on the peristyle and i went in depth a little more uh, with a question of you know why are we struggling quote unquote with local players so much and you know the first answer to that is it's year two of lincoln riley it's year two we're not even we're in it we're not even done it we're in year two and there's a lot to be learned. Uh, and if Lincoln Riley is in it for the long term, he's going to evolve and adjust with how things are in L.A. And, and the, the, the resources you can use, um, the, the, the patterns that work and don't work. And, you know, one of the things with uh, local players and, and I think players in California in general, they've always been quick to jump on a plane and go see whatever's trending more so than other kids in other regions. Uh, there's just less loyalty, I think, to USC and UCLA from that standpoint. There is a very much, what have you done for me lately, uh, California, LA attitude that comes with uh, kids, you know? And I, and I think that's sort of a generalization of sports fans in, in on the West Coast to some extent. You know, there is a little bit of that even with Trojan fans. And I know that, you know, the coaching staff, I'm sure, thought that the Calcium would have been filled after they went undefeated early in the season. And that's just not going to happen. It's a show me region. <laughs> it's not to show me state like Missouri, but it's a show me region as in, listen, you go build the champion. We'll, we'll be there, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in Southern California that we could be doing. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to hold up your end and have an entertaining, um, you know, high level of play, then shoot. You know, we're going to go do those things instead. It's not, you know, Green Bay. It's not Tuscaloosa. It's not somewhere where there is no other game in town. And anybody and everybody that is around that area is going to go see the football game because that is the only thing to go see. And that's, again, something that, you know, Lincoln Riley's never dealt with. And, and it's, it's a different, unique thing to USC and, and UCLA uh, as well. Uh, so, you know, this is year two, man. He's still learning it. He's still getting a feel for it. You know, we can certainly get into talking, you know, as we get in to year three and year four, uh, if we're sitting here and USC hasn't necessarily been able to put that wall around Southern California and California in general and, and lock in on all the good local recruits. You know, we can talk about potential biases and things with the staff being from, you know, out of the state and, and, 
maybe patterns that have been there, you know, looking back at Clay Helton's staff and how they were predominantly going into Texas and kind of glossing over some local recruits. And again, within context, you're not running a successful winning college football program. You kind of have to go and reinvent yourself somewhere else. And if it's just those kids that are looking at box scores and all they remember USC is Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll, hey, you can pop up in East Texas and say, hey, we're USC, we're going to offer you a scholarship. And those kids are going to fall over themselves a little more than the kid at Gardena Serra, who's been to all your games, who's watched this program completely spiral into oblivion. Uh, it's a different set of circumstances you have to recruit under. And certainly if the connections are there locally in other places outside of California, it is going to be easier to recruit those places. Recruiting is who and what you know. And if you don't know a lot of those uh, those little spots on the map in California and you don't have those relationships built with the local high schools, then yeah, it's going to be probably easier to go recruit where you do have those relationships. So in general, yeah, I think it's year two of Lincoln Riley. I don't think we can make these, you know, huge um, judgments uh, as to what's going on with recruiting. Again, we're, we're at the precipice of the summer recruiting season here. And a lot is going to be learned as we get into August, September uh, with just another year. We, we have one more year, one more wave of recruiting that we can now look at at the first year. We learned a lot in the first year, right? And there was a lot of expectations Again, probably last November, December, saying at this point, USC is going to have three commitments in the 2024 class. It would have surprised me. <laughs> I think it would have had more. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, that's one of those things that we're going to learn. Is it they have less because, you know what, they're just not going to go into the high school ranks as hard as they've talked about doing and, and, and maybe we thought they were going to do? Or is it just a matter of, hey, there's a bunch of guys that they're recruiting that weren't ready to make decisions early in the year. And it's just was happenstance. And by the time we get into September, they'll have, you know, 12, 14 commitments. And with a class of, you know, probably not getting closer to, 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 to more than 20, um, you know, that that that's not a big deal. You're, you're going to close with uh, your transfers. and You're going to close with maybe some guys that are going to decommit from other schools and what have you. You know, it, it all falls into place. We just have to wait and kind of see. I, I think the, the inclination people want you to be a fortune teller and uh, and give you, you know, all this information. And of course, that information is only welcome if it's positive and the fortune telling is all for the good and it's all optimistic. But the minute your fortune telling goes astray and you start predicting, well, it might not look great, then they don't want you to be a fortune teller anymore. Do you remember when you started this question you said you're not going to go on a rant? I don't think that was a rant at all. I think that was mm. an explanation of uh, why the question is you don't need to we don't need to be that dramatic at this point it's not not a rant a rant would involve some is rant about tone or length it's about tone absolutely okay i mean you know i mean a manifesto is that a rant is a diatribe a rant i mean those things i think are emotionally invested speeches of sorts um I was just giving an explanation as to this is where we're at. This is the reality of things. This is where they sit. And we're very close to learning more as we go forward. And then we'll make more analysis from that. And we don't need to jump to conclusions. A lot of people wanted us to jump to conclusions when it was July and USC, you know, wasn't going to get um, uh, Mario Goa. Um, 
why am I blanking on his first Francis. name? Francis. Francis, yeah, totally blanked on his first name. Francis Mago went to, to Miami, and then they lost a couple other guys, you know, in those early parts of July. And then it was like, oh, my God, you know, the, the, the chicken littles were out. Everybody's on the ledge. And it's like, oh, my God, recruiting's terrible. And it, and it just, it's like, listen, it, summer's not even over yet. It's, relax, relax. We, we, we're going to give it some time. You know, oh, the luau is such a bad idea. Why are you going to let, let's let it play out. Let's not get all worked up about the here and now, especially in recruiting. Recruiting is you're, you're putting all this emphasis on the mind of a 17 year old child. And you just have to realize it's like, I know there's family members and other people that are around that are supposed to be giving guidance, but sometimes the recruiting process feels like it's in the mind of a 17 year old child. And you have to realize that that is going to have some ebb and flow to it. So you don't want to get caught up in the here and now of it. You want to give it some time and let things exercise themselves. So that's basically just an explanation of that. I don't think it was a, a rant because a rant, in my opinion, would have went for or against. It would have went towards trying to defend Lincoln Riley, which I don't think I'm meaning to defend Lincoln Riley, but I would take some sort of Homer approach as to everything's going to be great. Don't worry about it. I'm not saying that, but I'm also not willing to say everything's terrible. They only got three commitments recruiting. I don't know what's going to happen. It's 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 looking bad. No, it's neither of those things right now. That That's why you have 40 prospects that are going to be on campus over the next four weeks. That's that's a that's kind of a major thing here, right? We need to get past those 40 kids being on campus, or at least a majority of them, before we can start trying to make some sense of you know what the recruiting class is going to look like. I'm a little disappointed. There's no treat. Okay, Gerard. We have had a very good show. Production was great. Very good. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, it's time for you to get some dinner. It's time for me to edit this podcast. That's gonna kick off season one. Season one, season two, episode <laughs> one. I'm, I'm. We went back, so, in, gone time. back in time. We were so long. We went back in time. Uh, season one, episode two. Hope you guys like the new artwork. No, season two, episode one. Did I did, did I say it again? <laughs> yeah. Did I say it again? Okay, yeah. we're done. This is over. Season two. Episode one, we're done. That's it. I'm Chris. That is Gerard. We will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. Did you get leopard suck?